welcome to this week's A Sports Block Podcast. Nathan Stacken with you alongside my good friend and co-host from KORN Radio, the sports director there at and, uh, Mitchell, and also the host of Taking Time with Travis, a very popular podcast. It's none other than Travis Krenz. Travis, how we doing? We're staying warm. It's been very cold. And I don't like the cold. So weekend should be nice, but yeah, we've got a couple inches of snow, but been 30 below wind chills last couple days, so that's so fun. I will take the cold over the heat and humidity any day of the week. Uh, what I don't much appreciate, though, is meteorologists being as wrong as they are about storms and as bad as they are at their jobs. Uh, we were in a winter storm warning. They declared it, I think, Saturday night here in St. Cloud. Said 8 to 14 inches of snow start, you know, it's going to be midnight Sunday all the way through 6 p.m. on Tuesday. I think we maybe got 4 inches of snow. It went north, Little Falls, which is about 30 miles to the north, got about 13. Duluth got 17. Superior, Wisconsin got 19. The storm tracked further north. Don't give us a winter storm warning 48 hours in advance if you aren't certain that this is going to be the track of the storm. And I get it. You need to prepare people and whatnot. But at some point, we're all just going to start to cry wolf here. And for them to be as off as they were, where what were the were there other models that were showing that maybe this was going to happen? I know weather can change in an instant, but to be this far off is very perplexing. Yeah, that's not very good. We, hey, they weren't too bad down here. We got, we didn't get many much snow at all. We got maybe two inches, two and a half, maybe. They were saying like three to five or two to five. So it was on the low end and I don't think Sioux Falls got much at all. So it, it was more the cold and the wind more so than the snow here. So we, we weren't expected to get much and we didn't. So. We, we were on the low end of the snow. Oh. I just don't understand how you can be that far. Like, and I get, you know, but if the storm's tracking, you know, just 30 miles off, then that's, I guess, a little understandable. But don't say, oh, there's three to three to five inches uh, coming today, and then one to three tonight, and then another three to five the next day, and we don't even get five inches for the whole damn storm. Like, it... it I feel like when there's those storms where the... I mean, when the projections are that large of 8 to 14, like, there's a big difference between 8 inches and 14 inches. That's, that's a bit of a difference. So that, yep. that tells me they were uncertain of what was happening. Like, if it's not within 2 or 3 inches, then it feels like this thing could shift one way or the other. It does, and I get that, but uh, then don't put out the storm warning that, hey, you're supposed to get 8 to 14 inches. It just doesn't make a ton of sense. But that's neither here nor there. The storm has left. It is cold. It's very icy down south. Um, but I would much rather take snow than ice like they get in Arkansas and Tennessee, Missouri, Texas, Oklahoma. Yes. Because uh, ice does way more damage than snow does. But off of the weather now, uh, this was the first week without professional football on since August. 
it. So now we get to turn our attention to March Madness or, you know, college basketball. We had the Olympics wrapping up. You had the Camilla Valleva, the the Russian figure skater, tumble down, and that was a whole um, conundrum and catastrophe for her. And the, the scene afterward was um, startling and just, like, you couldn't take your eyes off the screen if you were watching it. Uh, just the lack of compassion by by her coaches and whatnot. But the Olympics are done. We're, that's fine. Uh, the uh, baseball's still in a lockout. The NBA All-Star Game happened. And those festivities, whoop-dee-damn, ding-dang-do. It's really just college basketball at this point, right? There's not a lot going on. There is not. Uh, no. We heard uh, the, the press conference from Kevin O'Connell, the Vikings head coach. That was really good. Uh, I'm excited. Uh, have, are you more excited now that uh, Kevin O'Connell has been officially named the head coach? No. Okay. All right. I didn't want to listen to it or see it. It's like, whatever. Him I'm, sure he, I'm sure he said we're great and we got a lot of talent and he's very excited and it's going to be a very exciting uh, time to do whatever the hell he's going to do. In him and Kwesi, we trust. Did you watch any of the NBA All-Star Weekend? No. All right. Cat. No. Carl Anthony Towns won the three-point contest. That's yeah. something. Good for him. Um... I saw a little bit of the rookies and sophomores game Friday where you had what? I guess they had three. They had four different teams. And first one to 51. And then the two winners played each other to like 25 or 30 or whatever it was. Yeah, it's a little ridiculous. I mean, they also are a game. They went to, what, 163. Mm hmm. And it was like, just play the game. They come up with all these different ideas to make it more competitive and to make it different. And it just just play. Either don't, like with the Pro Bowl a couple weeks ago, either have it and play or don't have the game. I was looking at, uh, they had like the 1994 baseball all-star game on. Mm-hmm. A couple weeks ago, and I was in Pittsburgh, and that was the last one before the strike. And I was wondering who was the last player to play the entire All-Star game. Hmm. And there was a couple of guys in that game that played all, you know, went 12 innings or went extra innings, I think. There were a couple of guys that played that entire game. I think it was a couple of years later, 96 or 97, there was a, a player or two that played that entire game. And I think that's the last time somebody played an entire All-Star game. So, I mean, back in the day, like, you would play the entire game or most of it. So, you want to get everybody in, but that's a waste of time. And now you got, you know, Team LeBron and Team Durant. It's like, that doesn't, that makes me care about it less. You know, you draft guys and you put these different gimmicks and ideas out there. And I, I didn't watch it at all. I get, like, there's been some good all-star games in the past, but... Mm-hmm. Well, with the jerseys, just wear your, your jerseys. Wear your home uh, home whites versus uh, the road color jerseys. Mm-hmm. You don't need some weird-looking jersey. Just do east versus west. 
but the players fucked it up because they couldn't take it seriously. So that's why you can score 200 points in a game, <laughs> which is fucking ridiculous. Mm-hmm. They had to change those. Yeah, let's not do that because that's stupid. So, yeah, it was like apparently people didn't like the dunk contest and I guess they missed a lot of dunks, I guess. Is that I didn't watch any of it. Couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you that there was a bunch of, they didn't make dunks. Like, I, I, have, I have no idea. Isn't like, that normal? Guys that haven't, fucking we, people heard of. Yeah, we, haven't we seen this before where they miss a lot of dunks? Like, there's nothing new. The NBA All-Star Weekend is very stale. Uh, at least with the NHL All-Star Weekend, I kind of like that they do the three-on-three tournament pitting, like, the divisions against one another, and then ultimately the winning division, like, earns, you know, such and such an amount of money. Um, so that, that's at least a little more competitive because you're playing for something, playing for like a million bucks or whatever. Uh, with this, it's just like, oh, LeBron made a game winning shot in Cleveland. Cool. Like, like you have no idea who's on these teams. Yeah. Yeah. Like before, you're like, all right, you knew who was on the East. You knew who was on the West. Mm -hmm. These last few years, like, I, I don't know who the fuck's on these teams. Yep. Like, you have no idea or you can't remember because it's just a random, it's a draft of guys. So, all these all-star games have changed over the years. And, like, the NBA is fine with all their, you know, three-point shot and the skills challenge and all this other stuff. But, it's been a long time since stars have actually been in the dunk contest. Mm-hmm. And he's not the I don't know why. They quit doing it. I don't know because they don't want to get hurt. They don't want to get embarrassed. LeBron, one of the great dunkers ever, was never in it. Right. Never did a dunk count. He, he did it in college once or in high school once, and it was like, holy shit, this was amazing. And, and it was fun to watch, and he never did it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's just disappointing to not have guys like John Morant, great player. Yep. in the dunk contest. Zion Williamson, if he's ever healthy. That'd be goddamn amazing to see him in the dunk contest. Mm-hmm. But I doubt any of that will ever happen. We'll have two or three of the contestants of people nobody's ever heard of before. So. Speaking of Zion Williamson, apparently J.J. Redick, now uh, one his now ex-teammate there at New Orleans, was on ESPN earlier this week, and there's a report that C.J. McCollum, since being traded to New Orleans, has not spoken with Zion, and uh, J.J. Redick just said there's kind of a pattern of behavior here with Zion, that he's not really a great teammate. Uh, I mean, between that and the injuries, it just feels like Zion's exit from New Orleans is coming sooner rather than later. But he's he's getting projected right now to be a monumental disappointment for the number one overall pick. Yeah. Like, he's going to be out this entire season. And that, I don't think, was expected. No. So he's out of shape or whatever it is. So he had a great rookie year. For the first couple of years, they were pretty good, pretty impressive. And now we have an injury. And it was him and John Morant, I believe, in the, in the, in the draft. Yep. Same draft. Yep. That's so looking like a Kevin Durant, Greg Oden situation. Mm hmm. The guy that was picked first uh, is probably going to not make it, and the other guy is going to be a Hall of Famer. Well, remember the so, dra- remember the draft with LeBron? It was him, and he was the clear number one overall yeah. pick. And then it was Carmelo Anthony, Dwayne Wade, and Darko Milicic. 
And Milicic went second ahead of Wade and Anthony uh, taken by the Pistons. And how'd that turn out? Yeah. And, I mean, that's the thing where, like, the Pistons somehow had the second pick and it just, like, won an NBA title or were in the, you know, in the finals conversation. So if they would have got somebody like Carmelo to add to a great defensive team that was offensively challenged, I mean, Christ, they could have been good for even longer than they were. Right. So, yes, that's disappointing. And it's nice to see, you know, teams like New Orleans get these picks because – Stars are never going to go there unless they're drafted there. Mm-hmm. Open Davis and Zion. But in the end, it doesn't matter because they're all going to leave town anyway. So. Right. Well, same thing with, like, Minnesota getting Carl Anthony Towns and Anthony Edwards. At least they're building something here yes. and looking good um, so far. As we look to the NBA in, their, um, in the All-Star break here, anything stick out? I know we've talked about the Bulls a lot. Uh, and how good they've been. The Nets have really struggled, but the trade that brought over Ben Simmons, maybe that will help them out a little bit. 76 are good. The West, oh, I guess the big news, Chris Paul out six to eight weeks with a broken thumb. Um, That's not good news for the Suns, but I think they'll still be able to hold off the the Golden State Warriors. Uh, And I think they'll be the number one seed, and, you know, once Chris Paul comes back, they'll be just fine. But... uh, Anything really stand out to you from the first half of the season? I'm watching this All-Star game right now, and they got the score in the upper right-hand corner, and they must have, like, reset the scores every quarter. Yep. It's like, what the fuck are they doing? Like, uh, <laughs> like why? And Seth Curry made a bunch of shots. That was that was good to watch. I don't I, I don't understand. It's, uh, yeah, Chris Paul, you know, that uh, sucks for him. It feels like, you know, like this is their last shot. Like, he's getting up there. I didn't think they'd be this good again, but they are. Mm-hmm. So this is their chance to, to do it again. Um, I thought they had, like, MVP discussion. And Nikola Jokic, who won it last year, and he was, like, in the discussion. A lot of people had him, like, third. Like, I would have him number one. Like you, just, I mean, I know Denver's not as good as they have been, but you just look at, you just look at his numbers. Like nobody's ever put up the numbers he's putting up. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jesus Christ! I mean, Joel Embiid's having a great year, and Demar Derozan's having a great year with the Bulls, and Giannis, and some of your regulars. But but Jokic is like twenty eight points and fourteen rebounds and eight assists. It's like what the? I mean, Christ. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's by far the most impressive season. So he's not, you know, probably not going to win it. Probably going to be Embiid or somebody like that. But I think Nikola Nikola Jokic is having just another unbelievable year. I mean, I think you got to give more consideration to someone, say, like John Morant. I mean, look at the if if you look at the East right now, the Heat are leading at 38 and 21, tied with your Bulls. And then it's the 76ers third in there at 35 and 23. And yes, Joel Embiid's having a great season. If we look in the West, though, the Suns are 48 and 10. The Golden State Warriors are 42 and 17. And then there's Memphis, 41 and 19. Their record is better. John Morant is probably arguably, you know, having a, a, a better season than Joel Embiid. I know Embiid's putting up fantastic numbers, but let's look at the record too. Like that's gotta account for something. Well, I know it can't be everything, and I'm I. 
And I know Embiid's doing really well, but I I wouldn't say I, I've heard people say he's the favorite right now, and I'm like, yeah, I might I might look somewhere else to a team maybe with a better record, you know, or, or someone putting up some really good stats like John Morant. People like to look at the record, but Memphis's record has been very good without John Morant. That is true. Some time he's missed. That is true. 12, 13 games, whatever it is, and they're like 10 and 2, 13 and 2 without him. So, whatever that's that's worth, I can't, I probably couldn't name you another two players on that team. But, well, I mean, they they seem to be exciting with him. And I guess I can't use that argument if I thought that Cooper Cup was the MVP of the NFL regular season and the Rams finished what, 12-5, and five, and the Packers had the best record at 13-4. and four. I, again, Granted, that's, that's like a, a game, game or two. It's like, yeah. But like when, like it's it's, it's the, the most team. impressive season is what it is. Yeah. Like Cooper Cup had, I mean, Brady has had seasons like that. Rodgers has had better seasons than what he had. But nobody's had a better season than Cooper Cup. Mm-hmm. So when somebody has a season like that, you say, yeah, he's probably the best player, the most impressive player out there, and he didn't win it. So, like, Embiid's having a good year, but Nikola Jokic, for me, like, if you look at his numbers, like, nobody's putting up those numbers. Right. And you are a big Nuggets fan, too, so, uh, yeah, you know, jumped on the Nuggets so. bandwagon, so. And I was, and, and the Suns don't have anybody, and Steph Curry's not going to win it, mm-hmm. and LeBron's not in the conversation. I, I taped the, the All-Star game to listen to the other broadcasts with Charles Barkley and Shaq and those other guys. Mm-hmm. And I doubt I'm going to get around to it. I didn't hear much about it like it was great. So they're all doing the, the Peyton Manning thing. And I feel like it's not going to work other than with Peyton Manning and his brother. Mm-hmm. So, yep. Baseball is going to try it with Alex Rodriguez. Yeah, good luck. And other people are going to try it with other folks. It's fine, but you have to have the right person to do it with. And I don't know, it just... It's a copycat thing that probably just won't work. Agreed. Agreed. Speaking of Alex Rodriguez, uh, MLB remains in a in a lockout. Uh, spring training has been pushed back a week. It looks like that's going to be even longer. Opening day is very much in question. Uh, it, pro- it talks are ongoing, but progress has been minimal at best. What are your hopes or expectations that opening day will be on time? Because right now I would say, for me, it's got to be less than 5%. Yeah, I would say maybe two weeks. Probably lose two weeks worth of games, I would hope. Maybe middle April, April 15th, maybe. Would they do double headers like they did in the uh, the, uh, the strike shortened season? Like even seven inning double headers? I don't know what they would do to... Let's say, I mean, uh, at least early on in the season, there's a lot of off days. So even if you miss the first two weeks, that may only be 12 games. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, double headers. Uh, do you extend extend the season maybe a week or two, 10 days? So, yeah, there's just – they're not, they're not going to get anything done in time for the season, which is unfortunate. Um, how you don't get anything done, I don't know. It's, it's ridiculous to me. Mm-hmm. Um, Everybody likes the player side, and in, in these usually, the um, the owners want to use a federal arbitrator, which to me seems like a good idea. I don't know why it isn't a good idea, 
to get this thing done and all right they can say this is what this side wants this is what that side wants what's the judge say and you go from there but the players don't want to do that when i feel like that could be a quick solution to the problem unless i there's something i'm missing is it, do they do the owners want it because the judge is more likely to favor them on the the major issues probably that's a deal like what's fair is fair so hopefully they can come to some sort of agreement on something so yeah they're gonna miss some games of the season it has been that just hasn't happened in a while especially mm-hmm. for baseball it hasn't happened in almost 30 years from 1995 yep so we'll see and ultimately like it doesn't matter people have been saying oh does this you know how does this affect your 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 fandom it's like for people that like baseball they're disappointed and once baseball comes back on again they'll be happy about it mm-hmm. for people that don't care it they don't care anyway so what the fuck do they care right it's like you know hockey went through this uh football didn't miss any games um, NBA missed some games. They missed uh, ten years ago. They missed about a third of the season, mm-hmm. and it, it doesn't matter. Like when, when the games are being played, it will they'll play the games. Yep. They'll play it sooner rather than later. But like no, nobody cares about this. They just want they just want it to get done and to get shit going again. Right, right, and hopefully that uh, gets done sooner than later. And- and, and once it happens, there'll be a bunch of stories during the season of why things are a certain way because spring training wasn't long enough and they didn't have enough time to do this. They didn't have enough time to get ready to do that. It's like, like you should be ready right now. Spring training was supposed to be a week ago. you got to do whatever you got to do on your own time to get ready and to go. Mm-hmm. So once they say, all right, we're ready to go, it should be like a week later. So they would say, all right, we're going to start spring training. So... Be great. ready to go in the next like three weeks to get something done here. Yeah, why don't you just get? Why don't some of the players just get together and you know hang out, like practice at a local yeah. park or something? I mean, it's it's easy to do local ballpark. You can do it. Yeah. Um. Okay, so that's that big story. Is, so we'll now with you know our, our attention mainly focuses on college basketball and the huge story, the dominating story coming out of the weekend and early on in this week was what transpired at the end of the Wisconsin-Michigan game on Sunday. For those that didn't know, didn't watch it, uh, Wisconsin's beating Michigan handedly. They had a very good second half. And Wisconsin's backups are in, and there's like 15 seconds left or whatever, and Michigan is putting the press on them. Well, Wisconsin, uh, I think the ball got knocked out. And Wisconsin inbounded it, and they were near the the 10-second violation because they couldn't get it past half court. They were trapped at the free-throw line, and Greg Gard called a timeout. He's the head coach for Wisconsin. And Jawan Howard, Michigan's head coach, didn't take too kindly to that. And so after the game and, you know, the 10 seconds run out and whatever – they go do like the handshake line and whatnot, and Jawan Howard, they were saying on the broadcast, was whole, was back a little ways. He he wasn't the first one there to shake hands, and finally he came up, and then he said something to guard. Guard took offense to it, and they he started talking about it. There was a little pointing, and all of a sudden, a fracas broke out, and 
player coaches had to be held back, especially Howard. And then he ends up, uh, he was going to punch and ended up landing a slap on uh, Wisconsin assistant head coach Joe Krabinoff, who we are familiar with because he used to be an assistant on the Jackrabbits. And, uh, of course, and his dad used to work at Sanford. I think he said something inappropriate once and then got kicked off the board or whatever. Maybe that's that's changed since. I don't know, but I know there was an incident there. And then some punches got thrown by Michigan players and Wisconsin players. It was just a very ugly scene. Uh, Howard has been suspended for the rest of the regular season, which is five games for Michigan. Greg Gard was fined $10,000. Two Michigan players were each suspended a game. One Wisconsin player was suspended a game. This has caught the attention of a lot of people. It's been talked about a lot, uh, multiple different levels here, but just the initial fight itself and the reasons behind it, what did you make of it? What are your thoughts on it? If Michigan was still playing hard, they were still playing defense like that, mm-hmm. then it's pretty ball game. I agree. Then you can score on them if you're on offense and you're up by 15 points with 10 seconds to go. You're more than welcome to call a timeout. I did a game last night or a couple nights ago where Mitchell was up. They were like 15, 12, 15 points with a minute to go, and they kept fouling. And it was like a possession or two, a bit more than it should have been. Mm-hmm. And it's like, all right, there's like 30 seconds left in your foul. And like, quit. Quit. The game is done. Mm-hmm. For Michigan to do that, I mean, the game is done at that point. You don't need to play. You got your backups in. You want them to play hard. Call off the dogs at that point. Yep. Because if you don't, if you don't do that, then anything is fair game. So I'm okay with because I guess he didn't like that they called a timeout. Right. Yes. Yep. Yeah. He didn't like that they called a timeout with 10 seconds left. Well, they didn't want a backcourt violation. Ultimately, it doesn't matter if they called it or not. They did. And if you're pressuring them, then expect them to continue to play the game. Mm-hmm. So I would be more on the Wisconsin side of things. And yeah, I'm glad you said it wasn't a punch because it wasn't a punch. It was more of a slap across the head or yep. trying to palm somebody's head. Yep. It looked like he was going to try and go for a yeah. punch and it ended up being a slap. And Michigan's had a disappointing year, so I'm sure they're frustrated and got their ass kicked again by Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you're going to suspend them, suspend them for the rest of the year. Don't spend them for two games or five weeks. Suspend them for the tournament. Suspend them for the conference tournament. Don't don't just suspend them for the next two weeks. Mm-hmm. Suspend them. Suspend them for the rest of the year. I think there was a forty thousand dollar fine in there too. Yep. So yeah, I mean there was fault on Wisconsin's side, but I guess more, I'm more on their side of you know you're going to continue to play hard. We're going to continue to play the game, and it was a lot. Uh, Michigan overreacted. I Absolutely. Would say. Absolutely, and I, I agree with you wholeheartedly uh, on on basically everything. That this is uh, if Wisconsin, if Michigan's going to press Wisconsin, then Wisconsin has every right to call a timeout. There, I have seen the argument made that you don't have to call the timeout; that you can use this as a teaching moment for your backups the next day in film session on how to beat the full court press or you know just the press that Michigan was putting on but on the on the other hand you don't want your backups to get embarrassed on the floor like that so if Michigan's going to play like this then Wisconsin has every right to call a timeout there I have zero problem with it it is what it is at this point uh and I like you I think 
the the punishment for Howard here, I think if Michigan is if because they're on the bubble right now and they have a lot of difficult games coming up here uh, the rest of this season, I think they have five like the the rest of their games are all against potentially quad one teams. So they if this can make or break their season. But if it would require them to maybe win one game in the Big Ten tournament, one or two games, to advance to the NCAA tournament, then I say suspend Howard for those games as well. Make it, like, really count, like, wow, we're missing our coach for the biggest stretch of the season. And then if, you know, they make it to the NCAA tournament, then I'm okay with you know, with them uh, coming back um, for it. Or you could just suspend him for the whole year. The regular season thing is a little ridiculous to me, so I, it, it's kind of, I Michigan again still playing for their lives to play into March, but it's kind of like you know what we're, we're serious about this, but not that serious because if you were serious, you would suspend them through the Big Ten tournament or as you said the rest of the regular se- or the rest of the season, however long that is, and depending on if they make it to the NCAA tournament or not. And some people were like, maybe they should fire him. And if they were, I'd be, like, I'd, I'd be okay with that because you can't do what he did. Well, and he, like, got, in a, he got in a spat on, um, on uh, uh, last year at the Big Ten tournament with the Maryland head coach, then at the time, uh, uh, Mark Turgeon. He, there was something that was said or done, and and Howard got in a spat there. So, I mean, he he's at this over and over. Like, there, this has been a repeated pattern, I guess. Or there's been history before with Howard. And you can't be doing this, and it's been suggested to get rid of the levy and the handshake line. Like, if you can't shake hands after the end of the game, then you got to not play. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not that big of a deal. Right. You play hard. Physical things happen during games. Once the game's done, it's done. You move on. You you you, you don't hold that off the court. So yep. and yeah, t- that's a that's a terrible example to set. And yeah, if, if, for me, if he were to do something like that again, he's he's got to be gone. Yes, I agree. Full on agree there. I saw Desmond Howard had some uh, had a bad take on it. Jalen Rose, a you know former teammate. I mean, they were part of the Fab Five. There at Michigan, so I would hope that he has a little, that he understands this a little bit more. But Tom Izzo, Michigan State's head coach, had a great answer to it. Like when someone asked him, what a reporter said, "Do we need to get rid of the handshake line?" He said, "No, we got to teach these kids. Let's practice how you shake hands at the end of the game. Let's teach these guys how to be young men and be grown up and professional about this stuff. Like, don't, don't just let this." Like, oh, because of this, we have to get rid of it. How about show some maturity? So if you get it, if uh, people have a few minutes out there, just Google what Tom Izzo said about handshakes. And it's it's just really good stuff. I like Izzo a lot. Uh, some stuff he's a little off on and I don't necessarily agree with. But for this, I'm like, yes, this is exactly what needs to be done. We can't just get rid of something because of a fight because a coach was peeved and showed immaturity. They want to get rid of things where, like, there's one or two examples of it happening, and then they feel like they have to change everything and get rid of it. Instead of addressing the problem and saying, no, we're going to do this, and you're going to comply to this, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to change everything for one person. 
Right. Michigan's final five games, four of them are coming at home. So they host Rutgers, they host Illinois, and Rutgers still playing for their lives as well. They host Michigan State. Michigan State's really falling apart right now. They host uh, Iowa, and then they're at Ohio State. So, again, uh, five games, five big games for Michigan. Uh, and, you know, I don't know... They have two guys suspended for the game against Rutgers. I believe that's Wednesday night here. So that could, I think that's the easiest, that's the most winnable game at this point. Maybe Michigan State is as well, given how they're playing lately. But at least they have four or five here at home. Uh, maybe they can survive this. Maybe they can play their way into the tournament. But if, it, if you go three and two or whatever, maybe you're still on the bubble or whatnot. I'd still suspend Howard for the Big Ten tournament and make them understand uh, the gravity of the situation. They got Phil Martelli, the former St. Joe's coach. He'll be the the coach, so he's uh, he's been around a long time. So they should be they should be okay. Yes, absolutely. All the more reason then to keep Howard maybe off the sideline yes. here for a little while longer. Uh, other so that was the big story in the college basketball world, but we had a. Uh, fantastic game between Texas and Texas Tech over the weekend where it seemed like the whole town of Lubbock uh, came into Austin and that you couldn't tell at times if if Texas was playing at home or not Texas Tech looks like the real deal I'm contemplating sending them to the final four again this year their defense is just outstanding uh, so that was really good to see I wish they weren't ranked so goddamn high, because I'm thinking the same thing. And they can maybe be a two seed, and mm-hmm. no, no worse than a three. And yeah, to me, to me, you know, a lot of people going to pick Gonzaga. Mm-hmm. Um, my Texas Tech to me seems like a pretty. I don't know if they're going to get there, but I seem confident that I will pick them to go far. Yeah. I think what's gonna what's gonna be a problem is their offense. They don't score a lot of points. Uh, they do have Kevin O'Banner, who we know from Oral Roberts. He transferred there, uh, so they have great players, and they play fantastic defense, suffocating defense. In fact, the Big Twelve in general plays really good defense. It's just can they score enough points? But right now, Texas Tech is one of those teams. Them, Villanova, despite the loss to UConn Tuesday night. I think that they have a lot of um, a lot of things to be desired for making a big run in the NCAA tournament. I like Auburn where they've played some close games. They've lost some here recently, and Kentucky like is in the top five. They're right there, and, and Duke's right there. So it's some newer teams, some older teams, but I'm I'm looking forward to it. So it was. We had it last year, and it was good last year. And, like, you know, UCLA was a big surprise team to, to make a big run. Mm-hmm. So, who who is that team this year? Who knows? But, yeah, I, I do like Texas Tech quite a bit. Uh, Arizona's been really good. Yeah. Uh, I don't I, – honestly, I don't know much about Arizona. I know they have a former Gonzaga assistant coach being there. They play an aggressive, up-tempo style. I don't – but I just haven't really got. I mean, they they played a close game with the Ducks. Oregon has fallen off the map. Oklahoma has fallen off the map a bit. So maybe they won't be in the mix. UCLA hasn't been very good, but 
you can't count out Mick Cronin's team to make a run, especially after what they did last year in the NCAA tournament. It's just going to be nice that we have a normal tournament this year at multiple different sites, not in the state of Indiana, and we're going to have like a normal NCAA tournament. That's the best part of this. Like I, like, I don't feel good about Purdue. Yeah, I, I can't imagine. Fair. I mean, you know, you feel like you got to pick them to at least get to the Elite Eight. They're going to be like a two seed, and, and Arizona might be a one seed. But I don't, I don't feel good about Arizona whatsoever because they are, again, the players and the coaches change with some of these schools. They just disappoint. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe Michigan State is the team that's like a ten seed and makes a run. That you know, because because all these all these teams that make runs, they don't play very well to get there. That's why they're on the bubble, right? Yeah, they're not 10, 11, 12, 13 seed. You're like, yeah, they're not as good as these other teams, what they end up uh, making the Final Four. Well, so maybe it is a Michigan or a Memphis this year if they're yeah. in a playing game. Yeah. I, I feel like I will pick SDSU to win a game. I yep. feel like I've never, I've, never, I've never done that before. I feel like um, this is their year to finally win a game. Well, I'm, I sure I'm hoping they so. play our Providence squad. I think that'd be nice. Maybe get a 12, 13 seed. Yep. Right um, now, Lenardi has them as a 13 seed, but the best 13 seed. So they are one move away from being a 12 seed, which would be outstanding. Uh, and right now, they ha- he has them playing uh, UCLA, which is uh, no point no. for me. I don't want to play Johnny Juzang and company. That just spells trouble. I would much rather play... Uh, Wisconsin, or like you said, Providence. Providence is the ideal, I think, position or team that I'd like to see them play. Uh, Tennessee is somewhat hit and miss. I don't know about, or even Ohio State. You know, we've seen Ohio, them play Ohio State before. Uh, maybe a Houston. Uh, Houston wouldn't be bad, but yeah, let's. I'm very curious to see if SDSU what they will be, provided that they win the NCAA or the the Summit League tournament. They have two games left. They're undefeated so far. They have two very tough road games at Oral Roberts and at Kansas City. I think right now, I think Oral Roberts is a more beatable team than Kansas City. Just based, yes, I think so right now. Uh, because outside of Max Abesmus, I like what does Oral Roberts really have? I couldn't tell you anything about Kansas City, but I do know that they're playing really good basketball right now. It seems like it's complimentary basketball. They go up to the uh, to Fargo and and beat North Dakota State. UMKC is a really good team, and I think I'm just looking at this particular road trip. I'm not saying for the Summit League tournament, but I'm saying this week. I think SDSU beats Oral Roberts and has a more difficult time beating. Kansas City. They can go through this stretch here and be twenty-one and zero and win twenty-one in a row. Like they are going to be the the team in the tournament. They're going to be the hot mid-major team that everybody talks about. Mm-hmm. Uh, this team win a game or two, like you know, like you hear every once in a while. Every year there seems to be a one of those teams where it's like, oh, you don't want to play this team you've never seen and heard of before. And I feel like that that is SDSU this year. Yep. They are that they are the mid-major team that. You know, 12, 13 seed that people are going to be picking. Because so. well, Murray State, they're also undefeated. There's only three teams right now that are still or that remain unbeaten in their conference: Gonzaga in the West Coast Conference, SDSU in the Summit, and Murray State in the Ohio Valley. And Murray State is going to be right along like a 10 or 11 seed line. They're going to get into the NCAA tournament regardless if they win the OVC or not. 
SDSU has to win the Summit League. And we'll talk about this more next week when we preview the Summit League tournament and make our predictions. I know there's going to be a lot of pressure on SDSU, but it feels to me like this is just a different, and we've talked about this throughout the year, this feels like a different team. There's there's multiple ways that they can beat you. It's very complimentary. Like Baylor, Shire, Baylor Shireman is clearly the best player, but Douglas Wilson's very good. Alex Arians, uh, Charlie Easley, they, they are uh, outstanding as well when they need to be. SDSU is going to be able to beat you a number of different ways, I think. So I, they should be able to win the Summit League tournament. I say that it should. Um, but if we're looking at this week, just to, can they make it through the conference uh, schedule undefeated? I think Kansas City provides a more difficult test than Oral Roberts. And they have a all snare and all uh, conference player who doesn't play. So. Right. I just I just hope they play well. I mean, they played pretty well in these uh, NCAA tournament games. They've they've given Maryland a game. Uh, they gave Ohio State a game, I believe. Yep, they were up on wow. Baylor in their first ever tournament game for a while, and they fought Gonzaga tough for a first half yep. of the year. They were a 16 seed, and the Zags were a one. Yeah, Michigan and Baylor kind of pulled away at the end uh, with Walters, and then the, and the Gonzaga game was competitive for about you know. A half, half and a half. Yep. So, like, they've done well in the NCAA tournament, but, yeah, they, they got to win. They got to win a game here because when their offense is unbelievable and every time you look at the box score, it's, oh, yeah, they shot 62% again. Mm-hmm. So, I just just play well. Yep. Like, you have this offense and you have these shooters, this inside-outside. Um, make it count. Play, play well. Score 80 points. Shoot 50%. Make... Make 10 or 12 three-pointers. Play play your game and play well. Don't go out there and shit the bed and score like 62 points. Right. At, right. Absolutely. Um, and I think this is a big referendum on uh, Coach Henderson because he hasn't – he's 0-2 so far in the – or 1-2 in the Summit League tournament. And granted, last year they lost to Oral Roberts on a last-second bucket. So that's – I don't think quite an indictment on him. Oral Roberts turned out to be a Sweet 16 team last year. And Oral Roberts was really good. So I don't know if, uh, that that loss can't quite be you know, placed on him. But the, the loss to Western Illinois wasn't great. And now that we're going to be back in more of a, a normal setting for the Summit League tournament, we'll see what happens. And I think the, the players want the 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 undefeated conference record. Um but they know that's not the ultimate goal. And uh, Matt Zimmer from the Argus Leader had an article on that in the Argus Leader this week about, you know, that they they have a greater goal. They have greater sights in mind, but this is still important to them. So you want to, and you want to go into the Summit League tournament playing well. You don't want to end on a couple of losses and then all of a sudden maybe some more doubt starts creeping in. You want to finish this job and finish it right. Yes, I mean, you, you got to win this year. They should. Their hands are down the best team. Like, most years, there's like, well, maybe it's North Dakota State. Maybe, you know, it's one of these two. Mm-hmm. No, this year, it's SDSU. It's SDSU, and they like they got to win this thing. Like, they, this would be the biggest disappointment yet. Yep. And there's been a lot of big disappointments. As we look at the Summit League standings ahead of um, the the. Summit League Tournament next week. The 4-5 matchup is 
I think, pretty much set. It's going to be USD against uh, Kansas City. That would seem to be what we're going what we're going to get. It would be maybe it would be great if somehow UMKC gets to the three line and North Dakota State is the the four, and then North Dakota State and South Dakota kind of mess up. Well, well, you know what though, I really don't want that because I don't want to have to face either one right. of those teams in the semifinal. So I think Kansas City beats South Dakota if that's the four five matchup. And I think Oral Roberts can take down the Bison. Or, you know, if you know Western Illinois has given the Bison some fits um, this season. I think they, they split, but they were really close in Macomb and uh, Western Illinois beat North Dakota State in overtime in Fargo. So if that's a 3-6 matchup, I, I, I kind of like Western Illinois there. And then we'll, we'll see what happens. So I, as long as... I just don't want SDSU to have to go through both USD and NDSU to win the title. Just go through one of them. Yeah, avoid your rivals when necessary. Yes. You almost lost to North Dakota State. USD's played you close. Probably going to have to play one of them. You may have to play both of them. Yep. But, I mean, the, the, the the crowd should be big and loud. So yes. it's been a couple of years. Crowds hopefully should be great. Yes, but and I would point out that SDSU's worst shooting game came against North Dakota State, and they still were able to prevail and win. I think that's that's something that needs to be noted that they were able to win despite playing arguably their worst game in the conference this year. And if only if only SDSU hadn't lost to Idaho, then I think there would there would be at least some more talk, some more viability to them being a potential at-large team should they get through the conference undefeated. But there's no no chance of that because of that loss to Idaho. And, and if they, they, they lost to was it Washington, Washington. Or yep. Did they lose to? yep, they lost to Washington, Idaho, like Alabama, and Missouri State. Missouri State was the last non-conference game. Washington, of course, was being was played in Sioux Falls. If they beat. If they if they only had two losses and those losses were to um, Missouri State and Alabama, I think definitely they'd be an at large team. Yeah, they'd be right on the bubble there. Yeah, you you can't lose to those other two. Those were bad losses at the time, and it looks to be even worse than it was. Yep. At least Idaho's making some. They're they're winning some games here lately in the Big Sky. Montana State's the favorite right now. There, Leon Costello, former. Uh, uh, Jack Rabbit, was he an assistant athletic director or something? He was a Russian skater, I think. Leon Costello? Oh, Leon Costello. He's at Montana State. Yes, he is. I'm saying at SDSU, wasn't he the assistant athletic director? Yes. Yep, okay. So he is now the athletic director at Montana State, so Montana State leading the big sky. Idaho is 5-11, but they've they've won three in a row, so maybe they're they're coming on a little bit. Uh, Is... Just looking at the um, at Joe Lenardi's latest bracketology, some of the teams that are playing for their lives include um, let me just Michigan, uh, Florida, who had a big win against Auburn, but lost to Arkansas at home on Tuesday night. So that's not good for them. Kansas State is playing hard. SMU is in the mix. 
Uh, the other SDSU, San Diego State, they lost to Boise State by one. That I think is enough to keep them in. BYU, uh, Oklahoma got blown out, so they're likely out of it. The bubble was large at one time. It seems to be shrinking a little bit more, but there's so much, I think, volatility within the bubble, as there are in other years, but this year seems like such um, a, a larger bubble because some of these teams either on like the last four buys, like right now he has Miami, North Carolina, Creighton, and San Francisco as the last four buys, not the last four in. That's Michigan, Indiana, Memphis, and San Diego State. But there's so much fluctuation that can happen here in the next two weeks, two, three weeks, that none of these are safe and it's going to be constantly changing. Don't need 68 teams. Go back to 64. I know that'll never happen, but it was a lot better when it was 64. Or, or like uh, John uh, John Rothstein uh, from uh, from CBS Sports says, make the play-in games be the last eight teams, the the last four in or the and the last four buys. Let them decide who gets to advance to the NCAA tournament and not put in these teams that have won their conference tournaments. Because if you play that game and you win, it doesn't really count because you're playing another 16 seed or you're playing another 12 seed. Right. So it should be the last four buys and the last four in. Those are the eight teams that should be playing in Dayton. It would be what do you think the ratings would be and how the game would be played if it literally was if you don't get in, you, you get killed. <laughs> um... It's literally what are we playing right, in Russia? North Carolina gets to play Michigan. The winner gets to the tournament. The loser has to die. Well, that's not a that. that not likely, no. no. But like, I can't imagine what those what those ratings would be. Like people, oh, this yeah. is a sick country, and if you're watching a game knowing that the losing team's going to die, well, what does that game look like? Well, yeah, but that's never going to happen. What the hell are we talking about here? Of course. Put their lives around the line, but not really. But if right. they were, well, yes, know. yeah, if they were, but then that would mean I think we'd be playing under Putin's regime, right? That's right. Right. I That's mean, right. Or Kim Jong Un or someone like that. But I, I agree with somebody's like, you got to win this game or you're dead. Right. And they lost the game and they probably died somewhere, Russia or wherever else. Right. But I think I, I agree with uh, with Rothstein's point. I think. To make yeah. the like the NCAA tournament is already an incredible tournament. I would say it's the best sporting event in the known to mankind. Others might say FIFA, like the World Cup, or others might say Super Bowl, whatever. But if you want to make this an even better event, and maybe maybe a more fair event, make the the four playing games pit the like the the eight at large teams against one another. That would be that would make for better television. It would make for better ratings because people, you know, you have larger uh, fan bases, and these are like okay, we're pitting like two evenly matched teams against one another. Let's see if they can go. And the the bat the level of basketball would be much better. Those four days: Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Those are those are the four best days of the year for. Uh, Sports absolutely better than the Super Bowl, better than the playoffs. Yes, yep, better than baseball opening day or whatever the hell else people like. Mm -hmm. I would not trade those four days 
for any other. Right. Better than uh, Sunday at the Masters. I've heard that. Better than, yeah, it's better than the X Games. Yes. Yes. Uh, so we'll we'll break the Summit League uh, tournament down next week. We'll have plenty of re, uh, pre, you know, previews and predictions for that, as well as more as we inch closer to um, to to March and the Summit League and the NCAA tournament. But a lot a lot will change here in the next you know two weeks, and it's going to be a lot a lot of excitement and. Uh, we're certainly looking forward to the NCAA tournament this year. Any other uh, thoughts on college basketball here? No, no. Okay. Um, well, that's really kind of all I have. Uh, what do you have? Looks like Kyrie Irving can play home games now or soon. Did he get vaccinated or did New York lift the, the mandate? You know what happens, Zach. Do he I? certainly didn't get vaccinated. So they uh, they changed the rules with that, so that could happen here soon. Okay. Tom Brady's making some sort of a movie. Uh Sounds very weird. Yeah. It's that's different. Um. Marshall is finally cousins for some reason, and if I'm the Vikings, I I try like fuck to just you got to make that. Like, there is a team out there now that we guess we know that would like to have Kirk Cousins. Mm-hmm. Like, you make that deal happen. But do you want Sam Darnold? No, I don't know what you do with him. I certainly don't want him. I don't know what you do with him. You asked me who I would want as a quarterback and draft one, but I would also want Gardner Minshew. As a, just a guy to come in for a year or two and say, you're a quarterback for a year or two. We'll find some, before we find somebody else. Well, we know Philadelphia likes to fleece uh, the Vikings on deals for players. I'm sure you could get him, like, here's a six-round pick. Give us your backup quarterback. Thank you. So, you know, it's, like, with Kirk Cousins, I expect him to stay. But if he stays, I feel like he's going to be extended. He can't stay at the $45 million and it sounds like he's not willing to budge on a contract, which is, no. I, quite frankly, inexcusable, selfish, and, like, obviously he's, he's more... It seems to me, then, that if he's not willing to take a pay cut, that he's more interested in the money than um yeah, than he winning. wants the money. And yeah, he's, he doesn't probably seem willing to spread that out over two or three years. So, and he's a dumb shit. Now, I mean, we know that. He's, he's, a, he's a stupid son of a bitch. So if he's not willing to do that, maybe that will help mitigate a trade. Mm-hmm. And it's very exciting. You can get the Panthers, what, they pick seventh, I think? Sixth. Sixth? I'm like, all right. That's give me give me that pick. I'll take that pick from you. You can have him. What to do with Sam Darnold? Do you, do, do you bring him on for a year? That's I wouldn't like it, but well, maybe you do it. You owe him eighteen million dollars, so you you save a little bit of money. Well, how about you swap Darnold for Minshew? Like who wants Sam Darnold though? Like who? What eighteen million dollars? Like who? Who would want him? Like all right, you give him a shot. 
the Jets were bad. He said him to Carolina. He's not much better. He appears not to be very good. So, you know, he's a guy that he's probably good enough to be a backup. Mm-hmm. He's not completely awful like some of these guys. Mm-hmm. But I don't know who would want him at this point. Right. So that's the yeah, that's the thing that this is a fun rumor to talk about. It probably won't happen. But what, like Sam Darnold, what do you do with him? Because certainly they're not going to have both on the team. Right. And I certainly don't want him. I'd be like, you can have Kirk Cousins, but we don't want Sam Darnold for sure. And I think I think Aaron Rodgers is going to stay because he's he's an asshole. He'll stay. Probably. Probably. So what, what do you not want to happen? You don't want him to stay, so he'll end up staying. And why not? Like, you know, where else are you going to go? Well, I, I'm guessing with the uh, with the combine starting next week that we're going to pick up on some more rumors either you know regarding Kirk Cousins regarding the quarterback market. Um, so that's that's fun to see and, and we'll, you know, Jimmy, uh, I, I would take Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, he's he what he would be need to be traded. Yes, or what, whatever situation is. Um, I would take Jimmy G in a heartbeat. If they get rid of Kirk Cousins, like I think that's the next best option. Like I think if if they trade Kirk Cousins, and you're looking for a filler, Jimmy G is by far the best option out there. But he is due a lot of money as well. He's due like thirty some million, I believe. But less than Kirk. Not a whole lot. Like it's not true. true. That much. Less. So it's still going to be quite a bit of money. I, I Gardner Minshew for me. I, I like him. He's performed well. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I like him probably more than most. So, I mean, you got James Winston out there. You can do worse than him. I bet like, he he's goes, out there. I bet he goes back to Tampa. No, nope. I think he's going to stay in New Orleans. Go with the Saints. So, you know, there's, there's options out there of guys that could be the quarterback for a year or two. Mm-hmm. And this team has shown their history. I mean, you bring in random guys, and they do better than you think they they do. Right. Which they should, because the Vikings usually have pretty good teams and pretty good offenses. Mm-hmm. And you can throw to Jefferson and Thielen and other guys. I mean, it's you should be a pretty good quarterback if, if, if you're on the Vikings. Absolutely. They've got, they've got some pieces. One other so, note. Yeah. Yep. Sorry. It's just exciting that it's – there's a glimmer of hope out there uh, with this trade possibility. Yeah, we'll see how it happens. Like I said, I expect more rumors and uh, action to be made here come combine next week. Uh, one other note: Marshall is suing Conference USA to push up their departure for the Sun Belt. They're trying to get out of their membership with Conference USA on June 30th. Conference USA says no; you need to stay for another year. So Marshall has uh, filed a lawsuit in Huntington, West Virginia, at uh, Cabell County, uh, the circuit court there in Huntington, which is where their campus is located. So, well, well, this is a very messy divorce that's about to happen with Marshall, 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 and then more than likely Old Dominion and Southern Miss. But that's something to keep an eye on as well. Um, and you, what are now we've got the, a lot of high school basketball tournaments and, and other stuff starting up here in South Dakota. What's your schedule look like? We have to go to Parkston tomorrow, which is like 20 minutes south 
for a girls game between Parkston and Mount Vernon Plankington. They're both pretty good. Winner of that one goes to the Sodex 16, which is like the Sweet 16 qualifier for the state tournament. So they, it's in Parkston. They played uh, a week ago when MVP won by about 10, 12 points. So I think Mount Vernon Plankington probably going to win tomorrow. So hopefully that's a good game. And if they so if Mitchell loses if the girls lose that game their season is done. Yep, yep. Okay. They lose that game, we're done. So we need two more wins to reach the state tournament. Uh, Mitchell boys they play Friday at O'Gorman to end the season, and Mitchell girls also play at O'Gorman. Mitchell girls were one and six. They won eight in a row. Their best player hurt her back. She's a sophomore, and it's been a struggle to score points since she's been out. They've lost four in a row since then. They scored 18 points last night, which wasn't nearly enough. Yeah, no, don't move. That, that's not good. So, might score 18 they just can't score, score, which is disappointing. And I felt like with her, Sawyer Stabner is her name. She's a sophomore. With her, I felt like they had a chance. Mm-hmm. At the uh, state tournament, they were, they were going to be a 10 seed in this thing. And I think they would have maybe won it, or at least you know, they got in there, gotten uh, won their Sodak 16 game. So that's disappointing. But, uh, yeah, next Friday for the girls is their one-game playoff, and the boys will play Saturday. Oh, so I thought Mitchell was playing Mount Vernon Plankington tomorrow. No, that's someone different? Yeah, that's Parkston. Parkston, okay, okay. Um, Then we'll do the same with the boys' basketball. They start their region tournaments next week. Gotcha. So, you'll have to go somewhere next Thursday for that, or maybe even Tuesday. So, so, yeah, a lot of basketball, a good time of the year. Mm-hmm. There are really no upsets. There were no upsets last night with the region tournaments. All the top three, four seeds advanced. So, yeah, a lot of basketball to get to. Um, Brian Flores got hired by Pittsburgh, which I was shocked at. Yeah. But he was hired. I thought he'd be done for sure. Well, the root between the Rooney rule being, you know, from the, the Rooney family that owns the Steelers, and you got Mike Tomlin, who is a – African-American head coach in the NFL, that maybe Pittsburgh was the only landing destination. So good for him to get a job like that. So mm-hmm. thought that was surprising. So that continues. Do we have a podcast this week? And if so, who's on it? Do you know? No podcast this week. Okay. I'm, I'm going to ask Terry Vanderbeck to be on it next week. I thought yeah, with the Summer League tournament coming up, we can talk about that and saying, you know, 10, 12 years ago, the first one was. I mean, it was a huge event. What were your memories of that? So there's, I'm sure there's a lot to talk about with him. Very good. Um, so probably try and get him next week, I would guess. And probably Matt Zimmer in a couple of weeks, maybe when the season's done. Mm-hmm. He'd be a guest to have. I said it last week, I want to get Nate Walters and Mike Dom. Not together, but on the same podcast. Mm-hmm. Talk to my Tom and also talk to Nate Walter. I think that'd be that'd be the best one I could think of right now. Absolutely, I think that'd be really cool. I'm sure Walters is available, and Mike Dom has been tweeting more recently, so just about setting up a time with him. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that would be that's what I'm hoping for here in a couple weeks. Very good, very good. Well, hopefully. Yeah, you can get something set up. That would be an excellent podcast.
to listen. Oh, the USFL draft was uh, has been going on. Have you been keeping tabs on the USFL draft? Uh, no. Well, um, <laughs> there's thirty. I think there's thirty five rounds. They designate each round by a position. Yes, I have heard this. Very, it's very exciting. They've done this before in other drafts. I've heard of two guys. Shea Patterson. Yep, Shea Patterson was uh, the first pick to Michigan. Yep. Uh, Paxton Lynch also went to Michigan. Oh. So he'll be a backup, I guess, in the USFL. All right. A lot of, a lot of Tarleton State folks. I thought uh, saw three guys from Tarleton State. Wow. So I saw a couple guys from Tennessee State. There you go. Um, there's a there's a story. Speaking of Tarleton State, did you know Billy Gillespie is the head coach at Tarleton State? No. Uh, former Texas A and M and Kentucky head coach. Apparently, he's yeah, he's uh he's there and he wants to win. Uh, well, let me get Wheel the. Of what's that? Wheel of Fortune. Yeah, he does. He says Billy's going to help put them on the map. Though he wants to build a title team at. Well, Tarleton. He just hired or what? Uh, I don't know. Apparently, a year or well, two? Well, well, good luck to Billy. That ain't going to happen, but... He can dream. He can dream. Uh, Tubby Smith retired. He's had COVID a couple times, I guess. He retired from high points. Mm-hmm. His son so is taking probably, over. He should probably call it quits. Yeah. And uh, Lyndon Wood, I believe, is going FCS. Yes. Lyndon Wood. Yes, they are joining the Ohio Valley. There you go, go OBC. And, uh, yeah, that's about it. So, we got a lot of basketball to get to. Yes, yes, high school and college. It's a wonderful time of the year, and we look forward to discussing it here over the next month plus. Uh, You have a great rest of your week. Stay warm, uh, safe travels to all the games, uh, all the places that you have to call games at, and we will talk to you next week, my friend. All right, I'll see you later. Travis Crins, join me here, Sports Block Podcast. Always appreciate his time. Great stuff, as always. We are just starting, though. We have more thoughts on the Winter Olympics and just what we saw there, and who better to talk about that with than our good friend from the Mitchell Daily Republic, Marcus Traxler. He's going to come up next. Uh, and, of course, lots of college basketball talk with the Summit League Tournament next week. So a big preview. Uh, we'll hopefully have Matt Zimmer from the Argus Leader on. Uh, we got to get to the Combine here. So Jeff Lloyd II will hopefully be able to join us. So tons of information, tons of uh, tons of stuff going on here. And uh, we look forward to talking about all that here, as well as you know our big March Madness bracket uh, breakdown preview podcast in a few weeks. So lots to lots to be excited about here on the Sports Block Podcast, available on podcast.com as well as iTunes now. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Andy Stacken, Facebook Nathan Stacken, uh, Travis on Twitter at Travis Grins. A link to the podcast posted middle to later part of each week. But coming up next, we talk more Olympics. Marcus and I. That's coming up next here on the Sports Block Podcast, available on podcast.com and on iTunes. We continue here on the Sports Block Podcast. The Winter Olympics 2022 are in the books. Uh, and who better to talk about that with than my good friend from the Mitchell Daily Republic and someone we haven't talked to in a while here, Marcus Traxler. Marcus, how have you been? Good second, how are you? Doing good, doing good, thank you. Um, 
you know, there's, there's a lot to get to here. Well, the main focus is going to be on the Winter Olympics, but uh, maybe you have to talk a little wild and also maybe some Summit League basketball as well. But uh, as I mentioned, what, the 24th Winter Olympiad in the books? Uh, you and I are both kind of Olympic junkies. I, For me personally, I like the Winter Olympics more so than the summer. Uh, less events, it's just a little bit easier. But this was a hard one to watch for me, based you know in part because a lot of these events were played like repeatedly. So you could see something at one time, and then it would be on like five hours later. What? So I I don't know. I, I have some mixed reaction here to the Olympics. But what was your overall before we get into like major storylines? What was your overall thought on the Winter Olympics this year? Yeah, I think you know it's something that I've kind of thought about here as as the games have been winding down is just i think we're paying uh kind of a, a price for three straight asian olympics you yes. know we've had uh, pyeongchang then we had tokyo then we had uh beijing and we had a, a pandemic in, in there affecting two of those so you know I, I, and we have these olympics you know coming so closely on the 2021 uh trip to, to tokyo it does feel like there might be a little fatigue there and, and I think we'll probably talk about you know why maybe interest was down and that's part of it. I think the fact that you're kind of dealing with this authoritarian regime, you know, nobody in this country right now probably feels great about China and, and that sort of thing. So it's right. it's to get behind that and you have human rights issues that are just it's hard to ignore. And you add that in with some of the other problems that the Olympics have all the time, and you add the the Russian stuff where you know we had that become a major story and. Yep. Uh, it's hard to know when they're cheating and when they're not. And um, it just becomes harder and harder to say, well, why am I investing time in this? Uh, you know, something that happened 18 hours ago, mm-hmm. exactly what you're saying. You're trying to figure out what day what day, and when is this happening. And, you know, some of it ended up being more friendly than I expected. You know, some of the hockey, at least for the U.S., was easier to track because they played at 10 o'clock at night. And yep. It was easier to get, or they played at 7 a.m. so you could get up and watch it, whatever it may be. Yep. But at the same time, it's like, okay, you know, I don't want to be a big deal years ago about the spoilers and stuff. And I think at this point, I'm fully acknowledging it. If I'm going to be on Twitter or social media during the day, I'm going to find out how it's going to go. Yep. It doesn't necessarily preclude me from from not watching later because I do like to sometimes still see it. And, uh, you know, it's funny, um, you know, some of these events, it would happen or you hear about it on Twitter. I, you know, some of these things get posted on YouTube and NBC's posting the highlights on there and. Like uh, a great example was the the figure skater from Russia that you know fell apart in that last thing. I didn't see the routine until it showed up on TV because it just it never popped up uh, on online. So that was one of those things where it's like, okay, yeah, I guess I'm gonna watch it when it comes up on TV. So it's just kind of interesting how the the time shifting uh, you know depends on what's what's happening and how, how much priority NBC's putting on it. Yeah, uh, ratings were down this year significantly compared to like almost like 50% compared to Pyeongchang in 2018. And I absolutely agree with you. I think a lot of, you know, the issues with China kind of stemmed from, uh, you know, in part to that. Uh, The lack of fans, I think that's, you know, that makes it really hard to watch. I would say it made football and some of these other sports that were in the bubble hard to watch too at the beginning of COVID because you just don't get the same atmosphere that you do at other um, that you would normally. So that I think certainly you know the political landscape, the geopolitical landscape, and NBC touched on it during the opening ceremonies. 
I think that had a lot to do with it. And then you kind of got some of these other really drastic storylines breaking through here. Of course, Kamili Valieva, the, the 15-year-old Russian figure skater, uh, Michaela Schifrin. And NBC got a lot of slack, especially for Michaela Schifrin. Personally, I don't have a problem with with them showing her sitting on the, on the side of the slope for 10, 15 minutes, however long it was, just because it was so jarring to see her you know, drop out of this event that she's so good at. So I guess that's one of my main takeaways from the Olympics was the fall of Michaela Schifrin. And I feel so bad for her because she's one of the best in the world. And I get that, you know, her dad passed away in 2020, but to see her in the, you know, the giant slalom and then, and then, um, in this other event here that are two of her best for her to just kind of crumble and fall apart like that, it, it's kind of like a train wreck. You almost have to see it coming, but it was it was remarkable television to watch. Well, I think there's a certain element of that with with Valieva too. I think we'll talk yes. about that here in a minute. But yep. you know, it's you know they are the the people that you're watching. I mean, somebody's got to be a favorite in these events, right? And mm-hmm. it doesn't always mean they're going to win. You know, Schifrin, highly de- the most decorated you know downhill skier for America, but no guarantee she's going to hit it right. And for whatever reason, it just wasn't working over these last couple of weeks for her because of, uh, you know, the, the snow was a little weird. It's a course they'd never gone down before, all these different factors. And then if you're not on, on your game or you're in your own head a little bit, um, I, I should freely say, like, there's no way I would be able to do any of this. Right. I wouldn't be able to ski down there, yeah. let alone whether I'm in the ment- mentally the right place. So, I'm not, I'm not being critical, but it's just like, if you're not on your game, this can happen. And, you know, historically, it, it doesn't happen to her, but it was a really bad time for it to happen, just like it did for Simone Biles in, in, in Tokyo, where, yes, whatever reason, for those two weeks, it wasn't working for her. And that stinks, but that's just, you know, you, you ask so much of these athletes to be on their game at, at prime time, and that doesn't always mean it's going to happen. They're not machines. Right. Are you okay with NBC's coverage, though, of it? Of the, you know, of them like shooting her, just sitting on the side of the hill, the commentary afterward. Because I was, I I know a lot of people weren't, but she's a major story of the game. She's one of the the stars, the biggest Olympic star in the U.S. One of them. Um, I don't have a problem with that. It's it's raw, and and I don't always expect everybody to love that. I mean, it's people want to see what it what she's feeling, what it's going like, and I think. you know, it would be different if Schifrin had spoke out about it or, or her camp had spoke out about it. Schifrin never turned them down for interviews after any of these races. You know, mm-hmm. it was she was sad, and she laid it all on the line with some of what she had to say. She was pretty tough on herself. Um, but I don't have a problem with like, I think, like, for us to truly know how she feels uh, back home, I think that's just, you know, they wouldn't be doing their job if they didn't show it. And I think, you know, I, I'm going to go back to the Valieva thing. Yeah. You know, people have brought up that she's a 15-year-old girl. I think some of the, the camera shots of her after, you know, finishing fourth in that event were, were much more intrusive than uh, than Schifrin. And I don't have a problem with that either because for all the various reasons, she was a massive story. And the fact that she broke down, the fact that she's 15, if she's old enough to compete, she's old enough to be, you know, analyzed and all those sorts of things. Yeah. I hate to say that, not trying to be overly critical, but it's just the reality that if you're on the biggest stage, uh, criticism comes with that, and uh, you know, 
it's going to be broadcast to a billion people around the world. Well, let's hammer down on that Valieva point or just that story a little bit more because that was the dominating story of the Olympics here. And, you know, come Super Bowl Sunday night, you know, we see uh, Alana Myers-Taylor and uh, Kaylee Humphreys win, you know, win medals in monobob. And then you get this story from the, the, the court of sports arbitration or however, whatever the title is saying, you know, that they declared... That Valieva could participate in the in the women's like singles freestyle or you know whatever that that skate and that drew a lot of criticism worldwide. Uh, but I really appreciated Tara Lipinski and Johnny Weir's. You, you mentioned raw emotion there, but their just their immediate takes on this and how consistent they were throughout this. And I I I agree. I think it's a very tough position because. A, she, you know, like one, she's 15 years old, so she's a minor. That's, you know, and you're wondering where are the adults in this room here and uh, or in her camp. But I just really appreciated their consistent uh, analysis of, or just their consistent reaction to it, even through her skate and whatnot. Um, that was refreshing to see, and I... I thought that, you know, it was the dominating story throughout the second week of the Olympics for sure. Yeah, the, the one that sticks with me is, I believe, after their short program where uh, they just said, you know, that that was Camelia Felieva's uh, short program. Like, not yeah. because they knew she was going to be in first place. They knew that she executed it. Uh, you don't want to call it a gold medal effort because we don't even know if she's going to win the gold medal. If this is right. going to stay you know, in a few months or a few weeks or whatever the timeline was going to be, so what else can you say? You'd love to be able to say in the moment, oh, a champion, you know, a gold medal winning effort. You hear that all the time. You couldn't do that in this case. And then you have this, you know, obviously both of those had competed. Both of those people had competed, you know, in this sport. Um, you know, there's just no room to really give Russia any any free free way on this. Like they they're competing. They're not even competing under their own flag because they've had uh, systemic doping. Mm-hmm. And cheating, and they're still pushing the limit. They're they're still you know cheating. Uh, you know nobody else is, is playing with a with a positive test, right. and Russia somehow is still able to do that. Some manipulation. Yes, I do feel bad for her, the fifteen year old human. Uh, I don't feel bad for um, Russia or any of her coaches or oh, any yeah. of the people that put her in that position mm-hmm. because. You know, you did that because you stood the game, not because she did. And, you know, a 15-year-old girl doesn't find these illegal heart medicines on her own that are going to make her jump higher and spin faster. Like, it's that doesn't happen by accident. It's because she's given that. She probably didn't even know what was in it. You know, she probably had the coaches say, drink this or take this. You know, and it's as simple as that. Um, They get no benefit of the doubt. They get no leeway. And I think there probably was some joy then after the free skate when she finishes fourth and yes. she's not get a, a medal. And you have this weird scenario where the people that win or get medals, they can't even really celebrate because they, they don't know what the hell's happening. Mm-hmm. They feel for Valieva, you know, it, what a weird scenario. I mean, it's funny how figure skating seems to find themselves in this, you know, quite often. And not necessarily this cheating, but just the scoring scandals we have all the yeah, years. Yeah, the, the drama. It's just... and so, um, you know, I I feel like, um, you know, I agree with you. I think we're in, in 
uh, Terry Lipinski handled it about as well as he could. Uh, they were honest. That's what people expect when they're watching. And you know, I think for the U.S. not really having anybody in those those competitions, it made for great television. Yeah, uh, and just even after the free skate with her finishing fourth, it just her coach is kind of riding her like that. I mean, that's a terrible look. And then her teammates, you know, bursting out into tears saying, like, I'm not going out and, you know, for this. And, you know, the, the gold medal winner had no one to celebrate with her because they were all consoling or talking to Camilla. And it, it, it just, it was so weird and, and like, yeah, it, very raw, and you just didn't really know how to feel. It was an awkward situation, and then for IOC President Thomas Bach to you know to comment on it and say how bad it it was, I think speaks volumes. Now we know the IOC is a you know kind of like FIFA, and they're kind of corrupt. Um, but yeah, she doesn't take a stance on anything. So for them to take a stance on that and and, and you know call out for how terrible it was. That was pretty surprising, and I I think because it was so easy to make that call because everybody in the world could see how awful it was. They seemed to be just terrible human beings. Uh, You know, at least Thomas Bach had the wherewithal and the awareness to say, "Yeah, I'll play around." Um, You know, so it's just yeah, I I was kind of struck by that too, but. You know, I, I'm not sure I can give the IOC any extra credit on that either. No, no, and I'm not giving them extra credit yeah, on it. It's, it's just, you know, it's they take the position where it's easy. They, you know, anything else that was more difficult in these games, they had a hard time. And you know, it goes, you know, we're not even getting into the tennis player that was that was trotted out throughout the uh, Olympics as as sort of a Chinese prop, and you know that whole, whole issue. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's just, you know. I'll let you go, but it was just, you know, one thing after another, another of these Olympics. Yeah, and I was just going to say, and maybe this is the the final, you know, the straw that broke the camel's back or whatever, but I think the IOC, ha- I mean, to avoid situations like this with Russia, you got to ban them from at least two summer and two winter Olympics because between, I mean, as you mentioned, they, they were under ROC, the Russian Olympic Committee. They can't fly the flag. I don't think they could play the national anthem because, you know, of the previous anti-doping or the doping scandal uh, involving lots of athletes. I mean, they competed under the Summer Olympics under ROC. And now with this, clearly Russia doesn't mat, doesn't, care about cheating they haven't faced any real uh, repercussions or or consequences from this you know what the best way to do it is ban them from the olympics here like you can't go under the roc just ban them from the next couple olympics and see if they can get their act together and i don't know like i said if this is the the straw that broke the camel's back but boy if i'm the ioc i wouldn't even allow them to compete because you're just going to get situations like this until because they know they can keep, uh, you know, keep getting away with it unless the hammer really comes down. Yeah, I, I think I think they're probably uh, skittish to do that because this is Vladimir Putin we're talking about, and you don't yep. want to be on the wrong side of him. And so they they definitely you know are trying to uh, play nice with everybody, and and you know clean athletes, clean uh, sport is is you know being trampled upon to make this happen. So it's, it's, it's a difficult position for the rest of the world when the IOC is not really that interested in, you know, making, or, or is not really doing enough. I, I think it's fair to say yes. to make this is fair. I agree with you. It, it's time to ban, uh, ban Russia. The, the, 
you know, all you need to do if, if you know, any of our listeners are, are wondering, watch the, the documentary Icarus that's on Netflix. It's been out for a while. Uh, gives you the exact uh, situation of this was state-sponsored, state-sanctioned uh, doping from the Russians. That's why, and that was in 2014 when they had the game in Sochi. And it was about winning as much as they could. And, mm-hmm. and anything else be damned. And uh, that they rightly had had to compete under a different banner. I do feel bad for the Valievas that might you know be coming up along the lines of well, just fifteen. It really had nothing to do with the uh, the doping of the past. But there needs to be a clear message. And and right now it's just the IOC is not serious about about this. And and frankly, this this you know sport arbitration court that's out there, they haven't been serious about it either. You can go go look at cycling. Go look at all these other sports that have the doping issues. Track and field has had this as well. You know, it, it's it's you know it was pointed out that you know you had uh, Richardson, you know, a sprinter from the U.S. get busted for marijuana. She couldn't compete for a whole year or six months or whatever it yeah. was. Yeah, and I know that was the USOC. I believe that that made that you know that ruling. But you know, it's there's a lack of consistency here when you know there's performance enhancing drugs and you can compete, and then you have non-performance enhancing drugs. Like marijuana, mm-hmm. so it's it's a different. It, it's it's just uh, difficult to square your head around, and I think that goes back to the initial point of like, why exactly would I watch this? Right, I, and I agree with you that really no one wants to take on Putin right now, especially when yeah. he's doing shit like uh, to Ukraine. But at the same time, too, I think you know this is kind of a, I would say more so a global stance on what's kind of going on. If you get some, you know, more voices behind this. I think then it it becomes real uh, food for thought, at least for the IOC, because they they need to do something. It's just it's gotten a point that's beyond ridiculous, uh, right? Yeah, now. I think even they kind of gave them the out of we'll let your clean athletes compete under this banner, and now you have that yes. not working either. And I agree with you. You got to crack down, and you got to say, look, you need to take a time out because this isn't. This isn't working. Right. Yeah. Because, yeah, if you can't even compete under the ROC with non-clean, it, it's just absolutely ridiculous. And I, I just think that the court of, you know, sports arbitration or whatever, they they didn't help Valieva out at all because she became a villain of sorts. Uh, I mean, it distracted from the figure skating competition and, and really it impacted all competitors because you know you're operating on an unclean and uneven like competitive surface you just don't know who's clean or not especially regarding russia yeah i mean it's it's it goes back to the adults in the room and there's just a lot of people that let her down and uh you do feel bad on that level um you know once she's in a situation where she is able to compete it's it's hard to have sympathy for anybody involved and sometimes that includes her if i'm being honest yeah yeah absolutely but to the point where, um, you know, other people fail there, and certainly the coaches and the handlers uh, absolutely didn't. I, I know uh, Dan Wetzel of Yahoo had a great column basically talking about, you know, this whole situation and how, how heartbroken she was and, you know, the pain and the, the open, you know, bawling and sobbing she had afterwards and how she walked through the mix zone past the reporters and there was a handler with, with the Chinese with the hosts that were saying, you don't have to stop if you don't want to. And he pointed out that was probably the first person that actually cared for what she felt like mm-hmm. the entire time 
she was at the Olympics. Nobody else cared. It was yep. it was cold and calculated all the way up until then. And uh, you, you do feel bad for it in a human sense. Uh, everything else is just a mess. But, uh, you know, I go back to it was good TV. I mean, there's just no way around it. You can't act like it wasn't. Yeah, um, absolutely. It was compelling stuff. And, and uh, I'd be lying if I said otherwise. Yeah, you couldn't take your eyes off of it for sure. Uh, several other key or storylines for me throughout the Olympics. One, uh, Germany is incredible on the ice. Uh, like bobsled, uh, skeleton, and luge, the House of Speed, they completely dominated that. They routinely do well in that in those three sports. That was uh, just impressive to watch. Uh, the Netherlands, the Dutch, once again, dominate on speed skating. They were very good. And Norway, not only just cross-country, but in general, winning the Olympic you know, medal total with 37. But they cleaned up in several key categories. They were fantastic. Um, but, I mean, in those three in, like specific sports, you had country-dominated uh, excellence for the most part. Yeah, absolutely. I have to be honest, I did not see a lot of the speed skating. There's just some of these sports that have felt like I, I never really caught much of it. I don't think I saw more than a couple a uh, couple of uh, races of the short track speed skating. I know that's not necessarily the Dutch's main game. They're more the long track thing. But, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, I agree on the, the downhill, the, the ice sports, the loose skeleton, bobsled. You know, it's just some of these countries are just really good at it. They're well trained for it. Um, you know, in Norway, it happens to be the one that they're just kind of on their game on a lot of it. You know, the, the, the cross-country skiing, the biathlon has always kind of been their thing. You got some of the, the downhill skiing, the ski jumping, you know, all those sorts of things that uh, they're really good at. And, and I think the other thing that kind of struck me is we have sort of these, you know, what I would call the extreme sports, right? You got mm-hmm. the snowboard, you got the ski cross, you got the snowboard cross, these sports that definitely have an Americanized tinge to them. Mm-hmm. They're being by people all over the world you know it's not necessarily that you know i don't know that america won very many of them i think Lily kim you know had the half pipe and that might be it i'm not sure anybody else won a gold L- Lindsay, Jacob, Lindsay jacob bellis won a couple of medals yeah that's true she did have the ski cross as well you know so but it, it's you know those sports have become worldwide sports you know i'm not not somebody who really watches the x games too much but it's not just americans now you're, you're seeing people from all over the world that are winning those those events so that's cool. Um, you know, even if it if it's uh, for our American jingoism, it doesn't do much to feed that. But right. uh, yeah, I agree with you. You know, it's, you just have some of these sports that, quite frankly, you only see them once every four years. They're they're fun to, to watch on the, the TV. We all become Korean fans for a little while. Um, you know, watching the U.S. teams, but um, it's just interesting to see those things pop up. And and since we're kind of on the topic. Yeah. The one Olympic shout out I would give came on the final day of the Olympics. Uh, Jesse Diggins yes. being the, you know, the first uh, you know American to finish that high in our individual cross country event. Eighteen miles on skis, snow skis, and she did it in about eighty minutes or somewhere along that. I mean, you, you can do the math. That's fine <laughs> on on cross country skis. So really impressive, especially considering she had. Food poisoning and, and yes. country skiing, you gotta you gotta fight through a lot of pain. She felt like she was, you know, cramping up midway through the race. Yeah, legs cramping, seventeen kilometers left. Yeah, it, you know, and it's just I, I kept being struck by the the, the eighteen miles on snow skis. I just mm-hmm. I can't, and there was a lot of up and downs, a lot of hills in that course. It wasn't flat by any means. So 
really impressed by that. Yeah, yep, uh, from Afton, Minnesota, and we, we always like a special shout-out for our Minnesota Winter Olympians. Uh-huh. Uh, for sure. So that was cool. Uh, one star from the Olympics was Eileen Gu, who uh, mother is from China. She was born in San Francisco. Uh, she was competing for the host country. And I'm going to be kind of curious. It, she She's very good at whatever she does. I mean, she does kind of like the slope style ski or, um, you know, like the half pipe skiing and and all that stuff. She's very good. She won, I think, three medals, two gold and one bronze if memory serves me correct, but she's a star and she's like 19 years old. She's going to go to college here this, um, this upcoming year. Maybe she's all, maybe she already had a semester, but I wonder, you know, when the games are in Italy in 2026, or if she's still competing in 2030, if they happen to land in, in Salt Lake city or in Canada or something, Will she compete for America, or will she keep under the Chinese, um, you know, the flag? I mean, because she, she said that she goes to China every, like, once a year, uh, every year since she's been growing up. So, obviously, there was that connection to China, but she's a big star, and, she, you know, she is half American. So, I, I think that kind of rubs some people the wrong way. I don't necessarily have a problem with it. I wish she was. Uh, representing the stars and stripes, but I wonder if that's going to change here in future Olympics. I, I mean, is there any speculation about that she could do that? I, I would be led to believe that she can't. Uh, you know, just you know, based on what we see in other sports, soccer being the main one, where you basically you got to commit very early on to mm-hmm. you compete for. So my my guess would be she's probably stuck with China unless some you know some sort of uh, impending circumstances come about. The one thing that I read about with this is that, you know, it, it does feel bad if you're in the U.S. that, you know, this person who's lived in your country basically her entire life uh, picked an authoritarian uh, country to represent instead of yours. That's that's a little bit more painful. Yep. But um, she is a megastar in China. She's got uh, endorsements up the wazoo. So from that standpoint, it, it makes a lot of sense why she's, uh, representing China, she's going to be a much bigger star there than she would be here. So, I don't know if that was part of the calculation. I'm guessing it probably was. Um, but my guess is that she's it, it's one country. I don't, I don't know that you necessarily can switch. Now, there are there are you know some famous uh, famous cases of switching. If you go back to the Tokyo Games, I'm a golf fan. Rory Sabatini, you know, lived in Florida. He got married to a woman from Slovakia, so then he represents Slovakia. The the uh, Olympic Games, and it was, you know, quite a running joke, you know, always just doing it so he could represent Slovakia. He went and won a, won a silver medal. So it ended up working out for him. But I think you need those sort of circumstances to be at play if you're going to be able to switch sides well, uh, once yep. you made your competitive career. Well, and just from the American side to a pro, I mean, Kaylee Humphreys, the, the bobsledder, she was with Canada, and then she got That's her true. American citizenship, and she represented the Stars and Stripes, even though every time they would show her race, it said hometown, Calgary, Alberta, but yet she yeah. was representing Team USA. So there is that other flip side as well. Yeah, and you have the you have the cases. Well, we didn't necessarily see the story this time, but you know, you'll have you know some investment broker from New York who, you know, owns a pair of skis and got into some event, got enough World Cup points to represent, you know, Djibouti or something in the, mm-hmm. you know, winter games. And 
you know, we've seen the cases where the person just slides, you know, they're in the skiing or snowboarding, they just slide straight down the half like they're not even competing. That was a, a story a couple of Olympics ago. You know, so you have seen the people bend the rules to be able to represent, you know, country in the Olympics. But, um, yeah, I can't honestly say I know what the rule would be if she did want to, you know, switch sides and compete for the U.S. Uh, I, uh, right. I, and I don't know for sure either. I just, I, I just wonder if maybe part of the allure was it, with the Olympics being in China. If that's why Gu was represented. I don't know if if she'll switch or not. Um, that's, that's probably making a lot of money here. It was an opportunity to cash in for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. America did win two more medals than they did in Pyeongchang. They won, what, 25 in total? 26 in total? Um, I think that was good enough. Top four, top five. But it felt like... If I'm being honest, I, I think a lot of people were kind of disappointed in part because of uh, Michaela Schifrin struggling. Uh, USA men's curling after winning gold in Pyeongchang didn't even win a medal. Uh, USA men's hockey got bounced early in the quarterfinals. And I'll, and I'll get to that in a sec because I, I have a little bit of a problem with that. But, um, I mean, then you have, like, women's figure skating didn't medal at all. Like, and they, they've been in a bit of a drought here lately. It just felt like, and it, you, can never, you can never quantify or classify this as, as a failure because the U.S. sends so many athletes and they're competing at really high levels and they're just missing out in certain situations. But I think some people kind of perhaps feel that this was a bit of a disappointing Olympic from the standpoint that the U.S. fell behind so much to to Norway and some of these other countries. Well, I don't I don't necessarily look at it that way. I, I think I always look at you know look at the countries that put a lot of energy and resources behind their their athletes. That's certainly Norway. That's for good, bad, or otherwise. Russia, China. Mm -hmm. and, and some of these are not good places to be necessarily, but they are places that put a lot of effort, a lot of energy into you know the National Olympic Committee representing their country in the Olympics. Netherlands would be a place, you know, the, the, exactly what we're talking about, the ones that are dominating certain events. The U.S. just doesn't do that. Yep. We, don't, we don't put government support behind uh, these games, really. Yep. It's it's all we need, the corporate sponsorships. We need uh, players or athletes to fundraise on their own and find a way to support them. You know, that's that's a major challenge with a lot of this. And it, it seems to pop up more in winter games because they're a little bit more obscure sports. So I think that's a very real part of this. I mean, I think that's, I you know, that. ends up being, being part of why this is more of a struggle. And I, I think, you know, some of the examples you brought up, you know, curling until 2018, I don't think it ever won a medal or, or a gold medal, you know, in the, uh, in their, in their event. Um, you know, downhill skiing, you see upsets all the time. Now I, I would have lost a lot of money if, if I was to bet on, you know, Michaela Schiffer being shut out. I didn't think that would happen. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think there just kind of is that American nationalism that's, you know, we just expect to see our people at the top of the, the medal count. And some people, that's all they look at. You know, yep. they all they only look at how many holds or they only look at how many medals we get. And that's not always the healthiest way to approach it. So, right. um, you're, kind of, you're kind of dealing with that too. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think there's probably, you know, there probably was some missed opportunities there. But at the same time, um, it's not a birthright that you're going to be at the top of the medal stand. Right. Oh, absolutely. I absolutely agree with that. And you look at some of the cool 
stories or you know the some of the these breakthrough athletes like uh was it the Erica the, the um the the speed skater who won gold she's from Florida um let me see if I can pull pull up pull it up here um but but she wins gold so we had some really cool stories out there um and and I yeah I I would always like to see the USA win more medals but it's a very competitive field and as you mentioned like cross country these cross country athletes in Norway they're they're mega stars over there they're athletes who are you know people tune in that they're kind of like the LeBron Jameses or or Aaron Rodgers of you know a football in in their respective sport. The the Dutch constantly uh, very good figure skaters. So um, or uh, speed skaters. So yeah, it's yes. that you know you do have these these stories that pop up exactly like you're saying. And I I feel like in the past you sort of have that NBC Olympics magic right where they're really driving home their your backstory. You're driving home their family. You're driving home all the hard work that you put into it. And you know. That works, man. That does get people to, to buy in and be on that, you know, on these stories. But TV is so much more fractured now. We're not all watching the Olympics every night. And this year was a great example of that. But you've got all these other things that are competing and, um, you know, other sports, other TV shows, streaming services, all these sorts of things. I think it's just harder to get everybody's galvanized attention. And, and then you have the other factors we've talked about where you're maybe feeling oversaturated with the Olympics lightly. Mm-hmm. disillusioned by them so it's I, I think that's a factor too that just like when when television's a little bit more fractured and we're not all watching the olympics every night um you know you're not necessarily that has nothing to do with the metal count but you know you're not necessarily bought, bought in on the, the same stories that everybody else did too. yep aaron jackson was the uh, um speed skater that i was referring to she won gold in the 500 meter um sprint distance which was a very entertaining race to watch there i guess the one final thought that i have i guess and this is i don't know more petty on my part but i i felt really bad for team usa men's hockey going undefeated getting to the quarterfinals losing the way they did to slovakia um in in a shootout there um i i just feel like it the one they had one loss and it was in a shootout in the quarterfinals and i wonder like should they have should it have been double elimination it just felt kind of unfair that they didn't even get to continue further uh i mean i don't know it's there's really nothing you can do but i felt really bad for men's hockey because they had played so well and for them to only have one loss and all of a sudden get bounced that's a tad tragic yeah, I I think the formats for these are always they. I always kind of shake my head at them because you're just like I remember thinking the same thing last year with baseball and softball. I you know there's it's not like a bracket. You're, you're you'll see a bracket on TV. They're just like well here's their next game and then if they win they go to this game. I actually went and found the bracket for baseball and softball. It was the dumbest thing I'd ever seen. It was a fifteen bracket and. And there was a, a bye, but then if you lost this game, you got sent to this spot. It was it was not it was not easy to follow, and so you just kind of shook your head at that. I think hockey had a certain certain example of that too, where it's like, okay, well, we're going to have the group stage or qualification. You're going to play these games. You know, the U.S. beats Canada. Hey, that's nice. And then you know none of that matters. You get you go into this you know bracket, you know, metal 
little contention, and that's exactly as you say. Single, single elimination, you can get beat in a shootout, you know, whatever. And uh, I don't know, man. It's just it, it does. It's not fair, you know. And and uh, I think the idea that you lose in a shootout. I think certainly the Olympics is probably thinking we don't want a triple overtime game. Right. We don't want the goal the night because we got to get to the next game or whatever the, the time constraints are. But yeah, shootout seems kind of, you know, we love it when the U.S. beats Russia like TJ Oshie did, yes. you know, eight years ago. Yep. But the U.S. didn't go anywhere after that either. You know, it's it's kind of a crapshoot. They had uh, the other night, I think it was Russia, I'm going to call them Russia, Russia and Finland playing for the, uh, the gold medal. Yep. And, I didn't even realize it was on until I, you know, I'm clicking over and I'm like, oh, this has to be the gold medal game. There was no marketing around it at all, of course. And uh, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's just a weird format. I think, you know, the only thing that you kind of shake your head at is like, okay, you have two weeks, you have two plus weeks if you want to uh, to get all these games in, and it just seems so compact. You know, there's got to be a way to get more of these games in without. Uh, you know, over the course of the two weeks, I know they're probably spreading it out for TV, and you can't, you got to, you know, there's only so much attention, but it feels like you could almost have women's tournaments running simultaneously, and maybe you have a better format, whatever that would be. Right. No, I I, I agree with that. Every, and... every, Olympic has, every Olympics has two arenas, and a lot of these places, you mentioned, you know, maybe 2030, you're going to have the Olympics in Canada. Again, I, I've read that Vancouver is a, a, a real possibility once again. They're going to have more than two hockey winners if you want. Like, feel free to use a couple extra readers and let's play some of these games and have a better format. Double winners would be great. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I I would be all for it. Or you know what? It's it's. Yeah, I think double elimination after you get, if you want to go through like group play and stuff, that's fine. And I guess an argument can be made that maybe, you know, if Team USA wanted to advance further or, you know, have a chance at a medal, maybe don't give up a goal with 37 or 47 seconds left. Clear the zone. Yeah, they crapped the bat. I mean, there's, they can't really, you can't really cut them too much slack because they had the game won and they, they mm-hmm. let it get away. But yeah, it's, two, it, you yeah. know, yeah. It's, 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 when it just goes goofy shootout, uh, you know, penalty kick situation. And the U.S. seemed ill-equipped for that shootout. That might be a, a separate issue, but yeah. yeah. It, that was not good at all. They, I mean, they really didn't even have much of a chance to score. It was bad. But, I mean, they had five-on-three power play in the third period, another power play later on, and it just looked completely out of sync and and, and bad. So they had plenty of opportunities to win uh, that, that game. It just it sucked the way it ended and how their Olympic – um, tournament or their their Olympic time ended. Uh, any other final thoughts on the on the Olympics? I I read some some stuff. Uh, you know, we're, we're talking on Monday, and, and I read read some stuff. You know, talking about how 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 we think things will be better here going forward. That we're going to have these games, we're have the next World Games in Italy. That's going to be a little bit more friendly for TV purposes. There will still be some things on in the early morning. Uh, with that, but, and then a very real possibility that, that we could have a North American Olympics of some sort in 2030, whether that is Salt Lake, like you said, or it sure seems like Vancouver and Whistler are in contention again. That would be nice. Just I think maybe we took that for granted in 2010, so I, I would certainly like to see that again. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that it's it's a very, you know, well, the one thing I've read is that the IOC is starting to come around on, like, we need to go back to places, or we need to go to places that are already equipped for these events, we should not be having them in places that either don't have snow or they have to spend, you know, $5 billion building new facilities. That just doesn't make 
a lot of sense. So especially in front of nuclear reactors or power plants. Well, that apparently was an old steel mill, but yes, it did look like a it did look like a nuclear plant, and it made for some uh, some great memes online. Yeah, uh, you know, it did look like just an awful place to compete. Regardless, yep. I, I just can get over the fact of how much fake snow there was all over the place, and how much it affected a lot of these events. The downhill skiing, the cross country skiing, where they're you know it's it's basically like you are skiing through powder, all that sort of stuff. And it's just like, yeah, you should not be having the Olympics here. You know, the, the people in Beijing a month before the games almost ran out of water because they're using so much water to make snow and sip it up the mountain. So it's just, yeah, it, it did, you need to hang in a place that has snow. And I, I was thinking, like, if Norway has not had a game in a, a, a long time, maybe they want it. Um, you know, there's no reason to send the games to Russia, but they have, it's cold there, they have snow. Yep. I mean, it, it, you send it to places where they want to have it and it makes sense to, to compete or to contest these things because um, why not? And you look at the summer games, we've got Paris coming up, we've got LA coming up. You know, those are going to be exciting. So, I, you know, three big games in Asia, that was kind of ridiculous. Yeah, I, I agree. But, I think you kind of have to, especially for Winter Olympics, I think you need like a five or six city rotation, including like Nor- or like Oslo and Stockholm or, you know, someplace in you know, like in the mountains in Italy and then a couple of places in Canada and, you know, Salt Lake City since it's already built. I think that's, you got to just go with a five or six city rotation so you kind of have that more natural snow uh, and just overall environment. And like you said, the venues and the facilities already available. Yeah, it's just, you know, why are you trying to fit the, the square peg in the round hole? I mean, just... Just uh, make it work and try to have these be sustainable games rather than having the white elephants that end up sticking around well after it's over. Absolutely. Completely agree with you on that. Uh, we were talking hockey here. The Minnesota Wild playing very well, except when they have to go to play in Winnipeg. That's not a very good spot for them, apparently. But uh, they are playing outstanding hockey right now since the beginning of the year. I, I hesitate to say like we should expect this team and expect things to continue to go the way they are. But uh, Kirill Kaprizov's played really well. They've had balanced scoring. Like any, Anyone can score, it feels like, on a given night. Goaltending's been pretty good throughout the, the season for the most part. But this has been a very fun team to watch this year. They score goals in bunches. It just, unfortunately, Colorado is so damn good that the Wild aren't going to catch them. But... It's still, there's, I think, a lot of reason for Wild fans to be optimistic this year. Absolutely. Boy, one of the most exciting teams they've ever had in franchise history, and that that's worth a lot. Um, I think that it's, it's uh, you know, you've seen Kevin Fiala kind of come to life because he's had Matt Boldy come along, and Boldy's been great to watch. Obviously, Kaprizov is a thrill. Uh, Erickson X been great. They've had injuries and they've kind of been able to come back from that or not fall far behind. Mm-hmm. Exactly what you said is true. You you hate that it's uh you know you're in the same division as the number one team or one of the top teams in hockey and you know they've been challenged by some of these better teams. You, you know Florida they didn't beat the other day. They've had their struggles with Winnipeg, but all in all, I mean this is a really good position to be in. And now you you get to the trade deadline here coming up and you're trying to figure out okay, well how much how much a buyer should you be? I think you should be, you know, looking to add uh, pieces that make sense, whether that's a center or p- potentially a defenseman, just because this is a really good opportunity. Uh, we've seen in the past, Colorado's not a lock to go to the Stanley Cup final. They right. haven't done it in this current era they've been in. So 
the Wild might have just as good a chance if they have the correct lineup to make a run at it. Yeah, you don't want to give up, you know, the farm for it, but they do probably have, you know, a prospect or two that they can potentially part ways with. And, you know, if the well, there's been a lot of talk about the chemistry. If the chemistry of the team is so good, they should be able to handle uh, a new guy coming in. Hopefully, it's the right type of player. You know, I, certainly all eyes on a, a Claude Giroux now. He, he's probably going to be able to go to, to Colorado if he really wants to. But, um, you know, it should be that caliber of player that you're adding, hopefully, that can keep things moving. Well, in Billy G, we trust. Billy Guerin has done a fantastic job since taking over as general and, manager. And his one thing has been that he's been really patient. So there's certainly no guarantee that they're going to make a trade, and that might be okay. But, yeah, you, you have to trust him. He's, he's pulled almost all the right moves. And, you know, even the moves that he hasn't been responsible for. I guess we owe uh, Paul Fenton uh, a gift basket or something because just Kevin Fiala. Fiala did turn out to be one hell of a player. Yeah, just for Fiala, though. None of the other moves, just for Fiala. <laughs> You're right. Uh, yeah. And so, yeah, the Wild are playing really good. So we we trust Billy G to get it done. How about uh, do we trust Quezzy? Do we trust uh, do we trust Kevin O'Connell now? The the new regime in Minnesota. I think this is a very exciting time. Um, they have a lot of big decisions to make. Travis and I were talking last week about possibilities of maybe like. Do you trade Daniil Hunter for a first round pick? Uh, maybe Kirk Cousins. Then do you you maybe draft and maneuver around with maybe the Eagles and try and land a, a corner and a center? I really want a, a Nicobe Dean, the the linebacker from Georgia. If they're going to go three four, it sounds like maybe Anthony Barr staying. So there's a lot of I think excitement and unknown with the Vikings this year, but I think there's a lot of similar to wild fans being optimistic, a lot of optimism surrounding the Vikings. Cause it just, there's a whole new energy and vibe. And I think that that is good to see. And I, it's something that's been missing over the past few years. Yeah. This should be the most exciting off season they've had in a long time. You had 16 years at the same general manager, you had eight years with the same coach. Things are, things are moving, you know, things are, are going to switch now. So, um, you just have this major question at quarterback, and it really is the linchpin of the entire offseason. Um, it tells you everything they need to need to go. You know, in 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 a regular circumstance, if they were in better salary cap situation, I would just say ride out one more year with Kirk. Uh, it would make a lot of sense from a coaching perspective. I don't think they can do that. You look at you look at uh, the cap hit. You look at where they're at salary cap wise. They either need to restructure or they need to trade him. And to me, I don't know everything I need to do Kirk at this point. Um, he's had opportunities previously. I know the coordinators have changed. I know that this would potentially be the friendliest coach he's had yet, but uh, he doesn't apparently seem in the reporters that he's not terribly willing to lower his contract. He has not been. Uh, previously, he's been a guy who's giving me my money. Um, he said it nicer than that, but he's never taken a dime less than what he's, what he's owed, and I don't think he's going to take a dime less now. So I think that tells you you need to trade him. And I'm not real worried about what I get in return. It's the fact that I'm clearing cap space. I'm yeah. making room at quarterback. If I have to have a coach quarterback of some sort next year, I'm fine with it. Um, you know, as was pointed out uh, online recently, the, the Vikings had a good team around Christian Potter to get the playoffs. Uh, you know, you can live with the guy who's not an amazing quarterback and, and be just fine. Now, Vikings defense is, is probably not as good as they had then. And I think that's another place where they're going to have real decisions to make. I mean, uh, Daniel Hunter, Indian, he's maybe uh, a guy you could keep. He does have value here, but his, his salary cap situation isn't nearly as bad as a Harrison Smith, an Anthony Barr, an Eric Kendricks, some of these other guys that they have. Frankly, he's going to have to be some hard decisions. And I would expect 
eventually two of those guys will be gone, maybe even all three. Mm-hmm. Um, at this point, new regime, it has to tell you that the, the wills are open to change and that there are no social ties here. You know, there's there's going to have to be a uh, real movement. So I, I'm, I'm curious to see how that's all going to shake out. Um, I think that there's going to be, you know, moves. I, I think, you know, when, and, you know, maybe it means that Adam Thielen is, is not back or it has a restructured contract. I know he's willing to restructure his deal now that he's in his 30s. I, I'm, I'm going to trade Dalvin Cook if that's what it takes because uh, he gets hurt a bunch and it's you, it's not even really a salary cap situation, but uh, you can get by with a cheaper running back. And, uh, you can get by with Madison. What's that? You can get by with Madison. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just what is going to, you know, if, if the Vikings don't change anything with the salary cap situation, it's just not going to be any better. They're, they're basically a, a bottom five team salary cap-wise, so they're going to need to make some moves. they gotta, they got to change some things up and give this new regime some some uh, chances to make something happen. And why tie you know, Crazy and KOC's hands by saying, yeah, you need to extend Kirk Cousins and we need to have three more years of this now. Uh, let them roll the dice with how they want to make their team. You know, you really have that three-pronged leadership of Spielman, Zimmer, and Cousins. And I think Cousins, you know, was trying to maybe, you know, protect himself and say, hey, you know, I didn't get along with the coach and whatever. Well, those guys were tied at the hip when that, that contract was signed. Mm-hmm. I think the development's got to go. I, was, I, I really love him, and I want, I kind of want him to stay, but I think Daniel Hunter's got to go. If, I, if he was making $20 million a year, I'm not trying to get rid of him. It's the it's the number that he's at now, and it's also that if I don't if if I do restructure, it just means I'm keeping him for a few more years, and I'm push I'm punting the disaster of his contract down the line to what's yes. 34, 35. It's going to be even tougher to move him. Yep. there will be in this year for somebody. Somebody will take him. Oh yeah, I mean, well, Carolina's calling. Home. Carolina's calling for Kirk Cousins. Um, I was just saying, I think like Hunter's going to be gone. I think he, I think he's done as much as I love him. And I think he's a great defensive end. The last couple of years been more injury plagued. I think he's gone. And the one thing, and I, I've asked Krins this multiple times with regards to Kirk Cousins is if you trade him and I, I get why, but I mean, he had a great year this year. Kirk was not the reason why the Vikings missed the playoffs this year. It was the defense and it was late game situations, which I'm going to place more on um, Clint Kubiak and Mike Zimmer than anything. But what what's the answer for the Vikings at quarterback? I don't know if it's necessarily Kellen Mond. I don't think it's someone in the draft. Do you go, do you try and you know call up Kyle Shanahan and see if you can get Jimmy G? I mean, it. I just don't know what a, and I get from the salary cap standpoint, I really do, but I don't know what a viable solution is because this Vikings team is capable enough to win now, especially if Aaron Rodgers leaves the Packers. Yeah, I, I think my thinking is is that uh, you're not thinking about 2022 or 2023 with this move. It's, can I free myself up? This whole thing has to be built towards getting the Vikings a franchise quarterback for the first time really since at Dante Culpepper. You know, where Dante, if not for the injuries, could have maybe been that guy even mm-hmm. longer than the rest. He was very good at the beginning of his career. Um, that's that's the, the answer for me. Uh, you know, every team that wins a Super Bowl either has a, I guess, and I guess Matthew Stafford is maybe the exception. We'll see where things end up. They all either have a rookie contract quarterback or they have a Hall of Famer. 
and Kirk Cousins is not either of those right now. Mm-hmm. So you're you're moving. You know, he, he makes too much money for what you're getting. Uh, you know, like yeah. I said, if he was making twenty million dollars for what he's making, you know, right now, or he's a mid-level quarterback, you know, we could keep him. And that's not the issue. Uh, the issue is you're paying him too much, and you're in salary cap problems. I don't care who the quarterback is in twenty twenty two. Uh, they've been talking to Marcus Mariota. I've been fine with that. It's, it, I just need somebody to get me to the next guy. Sure. Um, and I'm, I'm okay. I'm honestly okay if it's Kellen Mond. I honestly don't think the, the previous regime was that interested. Rich Steelman liked him. Mike Zimmer doesn't. Yeah. Let's see what Kevin O'Connell thinks of him. And yeah. maybe he doesn't like him either. Um, but if Kellen Mond puts a whole offseason into, hey, I'm going to become a pro quarterback, let's see where he's at in August. And yes, I agree. Maybe, Maybe it's okay riding 2022 with him. It might, it might lead to a 6-11 and season, and then in 2023, you're definitely in the market for a quarterback, a draft that is supposed to have a better one. And, you know, you might be able to talk to the Marines Gwinnis if he's available yet this year. I don't think the Vikings are probably going to draft quarterback this year because they value other needs, as you said. But, you know, I'm freeing up cap space this year to solve some of my other issues. Defense, offensive line, quarterback. I hate to say it, but they probably should be in the market to draft quarterback high once again. So, mm-hmm. uh, I, I that's my strategy. I just I don't see if the money's not going to move either. Either you you have cousins on a, a you know it'd be great to just ride out this year and just be out clear after this year, but they they probably can't get by at a forty five million dollar cap year this cap it this year. They need something more. Absolutely, absolutely agree with that. And I was high on Mond last year, and I was happy that they drafted him. And we'll, we'll see what uh, maybe he can do, as you mentioned, in the offseason with a full offseason to to get, uh, you know, maybe, maybe Kevin O'Connell really likes him. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. Final thing I have for you here, that we have the Summit League tournament coming up here in uh, less than two weeks here. So that's exciting. The Jackrabbit men are undefeated. Uh, they're playing incredibly well, but we... I think have to caution ourselves, or you know, Jackrabbit fans have to caution themselves uh, with thinking that this team's just going to make the NCAA tournament, given the past couple of years and their issues that they've had in the Summit League tournament. I, I kind of feel like this year is a different year, but again, we we've seen it in the past how it's not. But do you think they're going to finish the this uh, conference play undefeated? Uh, will they beat Oral Roberts and Kansas City on the road? And then what do you expect from them in the Summit League tournament? Um, I, I think at this point, yeah, I'll just pick them to finish undefeated. I mean, that's uh, they were doing something nobody's done in the Summit in, in recent history. Uh, you know, running this far undefeated in, in the conference schedule, one of you know, only a couple teams in all of college basketball is still undefeated in their conference schedule. So certainly uh, can be impressed by that. I, I am. Uh, they are shooting. They're playing at a level that's just really impressive. But none of it matters, man. It all comes down to those three games in Sioux Falls. And, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, there is a track record here of uh, failure under both Eric Henderson and the previous coach, T.J. Altsberger. And, you know, hey, st- weird stuff happens in March for a long time. Weird stuff did not really happen up to some of the at least with the number one seed. And now it only has a couple times here. So um, certainly – this team knows it, and you don't want to put any extra pressure on them because some of them have lived it. Um, you know, in retrospect, you lost by a bucket to a team that went to the Sweet 16 last year. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't necessarily need to hang your head about about that, but uh, it does illustrate that okay, you got to be on your game here. Three three games. I feel like that was the one thing that the Nagy era teams 
got really good at being good at is like, okay, we have to be on our game in this tournament. Otherwise, we're not going to be in siblings. And I think when some of those players carried over the outs of the video, they have that as well. I think this team is I mean, certainly as prepared as any to, to handle that. But, um, you know, the jury will be out until until they go and do it. And, you know, I think the one thing you can take solace in is that Oral Roberts is not as good. NDSU is weird. Kansas City, I don't trust them. I think Kansas City and SDSU are going to meet in the final. That's my prediction. Oh, no, I guess they would be meeting in the semifinals if if UMKC beats USD. I think that's going to be the 4-5 matchup here. And I think NDSU is very vulnerable. Yeah, NDSU's vulnerable. They've been weird all year. Who did you say was going to play SDSU? I, think, I, think, I was going to say, I think UMKC is going to play SDSU in the semifinals. I think UMKC beats USD. I think that's the, going to be the 4-5 match. Yeah, this is going to be a really key uh, final two games then, right? Because this yep. could be teams you see again uh, in Sioux Falls. So, you know, it'll be interesting. Obviously, Oral Roberts, that's a tricky tricky team, right? They got the best player in the, in the conference. Your score, at least, Acemas. So I, I'll be interested to see how that all works out. Um, but, you know, SDSU, they're equipped to do it. It's just, can you make it happen? You can't have a bad score. I think the one good thing is that they have the diverse score uh, that you need to have when things get weird in the tournament. And, you know, defensively, I think they're probably just good enough to make this work. And then if you get to the dance, you know, this is a team that could be able to shoot their lights out and get that win. I mean, some of the tournament that SCC's been looking for, but they get there first. And unfortunately, uh, you lost to Idaho, so that probably takes uh, that, that bit off the off the table. Because if they were a team that was the 30 and 3 at the end of uh, Sioux Falls, even when they lost, okay, you could maybe make the argument that they could get in, uh, but it's not going to happen now. Yeah, that's a, that's a killer loss there, that loss to sure. Idaho. And on the women's side here, quickly, uh, I mean, SDSU and USD. Both have one loss in conference. It was to each other on each other's home court. So, and SDSU's playing really well right now. Maya Sellen's great. Paige Meyer, the freshman from Albany, Minnesota, you know, 10 miles away from my house right now. She's playing outstanding. Uh, I think kind of right now you would have to almost lean towards SDSU, I think, if, if we're being honest with ourselves here, just with the way they're playing that they could take down USD, but that's such a tall task. And SDSU has now played their way back into um, at-large at discussions here on the NCAA women's uh, side, especially with them expanding to 68. That certainly helps their their case in that regard. But what I guess the, the curious thing is that USD's game against Western Illinois is not going to be played, or and I find that to be odd because... That can decide who's going to be the one seed in the conference. Are they just going to give USD that win there? I don't think they'll give them the win, but I think they. I guess I don't. I guess I hadn't read, read about the tiebreakers there. You know, I think um, I would guess that fifteen or fifty. You know, the better winning percentage will be will be USD. Um, you know, I don't know if it's going to be that simple. You do have the two teams that have split. Um, you know, my guess is, yeah, USD probably will benefit from that. Now, there was sort of a mandate, too, that all the conference games would be played within reason, but you have to have the bracket, I assume, set by Saturday night. So, um, and I don't think USD is going to have the time to get to Macomb uh, before then. So, yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter. I don't think one versus, you know, one or two just means one of the teams is going to have a, a little bit tougher semifinal. Right. But um, I think, you know, 
knock on wood because SCCU uh, went out in the first first round last year. But um, certainly, you know, these are two teams that are good enough to beat their first two teams and, and get to uh, get to Tuesday. And then, I, mean, I think the beneficial scenario would be SCCU wins the title, USC gets the at-large. Oh, like, absolutely. You know, USC, um, they just have a couple fewer uh, out-of-conference losses. So, um, you know, SCCU's a little bit more on that that bubble right now, and, yep. and they're improving every time they win, but um, that's kind of the situation to monitor. The good thing is that, we've talked about this before, but it doesn't really have a reputation that um, they have that benefit of the doubt with the committee. So I think that's really what, what to watch. Um, I think that they are in the position where, you know, have a good showing, one of them loses close to the other, and then you hope you're able to sneak in. And like you said, the extra four teams is going to help. I just... I can't. I would think that they could have even played a game on a Tuesday. I mean, we've seen teams play three games in a week. Uh, and I'm, I'm talking about USD and Western Illinois. And I, I mean, USD men just did that. Yeah. They just yep. they had the game on Thursday. They went to St. Thomas on Saturday. They got back on the bus, played on Monday night Western Illinois. And I'm guessing COVID was bad enough that Western Illinois couldn't do that. But, yeah, it, it does think that that game wasn't rescheduled. And I'm, we haven't talked you know, recently, but I'm glad the Senate League went back as a lot of conferences did and said, we're going to try to play these games if we can. We're not just going to call them no contests like we did last year because mm-hmm. uh, we're far enough into the pandemic that we should be able to try to get as many of these games in as possible. But uh, this happened in the second to last weekend of the year probably makes it tougher. I, I agree with that. And I mean, we've seen St. Thomas's schedule be flipped upside down a little bit here. They've played a lot of, you know, like three games, uh, multiple weeks and stuff. I just, I would think if, if the game didn't matter for seeding wise and whatnot, then I I understand it not being played, or if it, it didn't have an impact like one way or the other. But this does, so I'm a, I'm a little surprised that the Summit League isn't making more of an effort, at least on the from what we can tell, to get the to get this game scheduled because there's a way to do it. You would just have to do it on like a Tuesday, and uh, for whatever reason, they aren't doing that. Or even health of Wednesday. I hate you know you hate to do a back to back days with games, but it's kind of what we're you know some teams have had to do here this year. So it's just I, I, you know nobody's saying that everybody's gonna have a perfect schedule here. You know if you're committed to getting all these games in and yeah, they are gonna be important for seeding, it would be nice to have that figured out. But I I get the sense maybe that's not gonna happen. Nope, I would agree. I would agree with that. Well, Marcus, I always appreciate the time, my friend. Uh, good chatting with you. We'll chat again here soon, especially as the as the hockey playoffs uh, get closer. But uh, I always appreciate. Are you are you, uh, you going to be at the summit? I I don't know for sure. I've reached out to Jason Hove, and I've not heard back yet. So we're kind of up in the air regarding Summit League status. All right. Well, if you make it, it'd be great to see you. As yes. always, obviously, it's. Become one of those traditions, of course. So. Absolutely. Yep. I, I will see what I can do. I, I don't, unfortunately, don't have any promises this year. And we don't have a B-dubs to go to on a Sunday night, right? That's yeah, gone. It's gone. R.I.P. <laughs> That's a shame. That's a shame. But B-dubs, come back. Uh, but I always appreciate the time, and we'll chat soon. Uh, but if I don't see you or don't talk to you before then, enjoy the Summit League tournament. All right, take care, Stacker. Thank you, Marcus. Marcus Traxler from the Mitchell Daily Republic. Kind enough to spend time with us here. A lot of a lot that we got into. Certainly mainly the Olympics, 
but also Wild, Vikings, and uh, Summit League, specifically South Dakota State Athletics. Uh, so it was good to good to reconnect with him. It's been far too long, and, and he'll be on the podcast here throughout the, you know, especially the hockey playoffs and stuff. We'll get him on multiple times. Uh, and we'll see. We can get him on maybe for the Summit League uh, tournament as well to, to talk about that. I, like I said, normally I go, you know, last year we didn't because of the the pandemic we'll see what happens and stuff if they need me but we'll, we'll make an effort to get down there at some point hopefully uh, but that will do it for this week's edition of the sports block podcast a bit of a longer one but that's okay here at this time of the year uh, you can follow you can follow marcus on on twitter at marcus traxler you can follow me on Twitter at Andy Stacken, Facebook Nathan Stacken, Travis on Twitter at Travis Crins. A link to the podcast posted middle to later part of each week. We're on podcast.com as well as iTunes. So that's exciting. Uh, but thank you for listening to this week's edition of the Sports Block Podcast. We, we talked to, I mean, despite that there's no football going on, we still have plenty to talk about. And that's that's great. That's the, the magic of sports. The sports never has in offseason, except for maybe like two or three days in July with the MLB All-Star Game and then nothing going on except the ESPYs. But anyway, that's a separate uh, topic for another day. Uh, thank you again for listening, and we'll be back next week. Summit League preview, and uh, we might uh, have a preview from the, about the NFL scouting combine too. I think we'll try and get Jeff Lloyd second from Lockdown Browns podcast on next week as well, and maybe Matt Zimmer from the Argus Leader if he has time during the very, very busy week for him with the Summit League Tournament, but uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. So plenty to, to get to next week. And uh, again, hopefully you enjoyed this week's edition of the Sports Block Podcast. Again, podcast.com, also on iTunes, uh, and uh, the social media as well. So for all of us here at the Sports Block Podcast, for Travis and Marcus, I'm Nathan. Thank you so much for listening to this week's edition of the Sports Block Podcast. Have a great week. Uh, survive the snow. And we'll talk to you next week on another edition of the Sports Block Podcast. Have a great week, everyone.